Hello and welcome under the Kotatsu. I'm your host Austin, joined as always by Danielle and Danny. Hello. Hey everyone. All right. Well, we're back again for more Gundam, uh, movie two of three this time. This one actually has a subtitle, uh, movie two Soldiers of Sorrow. But before we get into that, let's uh, go around the table and see what everyone's drinking this time. It's a uh, black coffee kind of morning for me. <laughs> I say morning, even even though we're recording at a very much past noon my time um i just have a weird schedule <laughs> at least it's closer to morning your time than it is our time it is exactly 4 20 right now our time though so shout outs to that nice yeah and morning mornings are all relative anyway i'm having a vodka and coke it's uh nice. it's four o'clock somewhere four twenty somewhere is it a like a mcdonald's coke like that last time you had the <laughs> no it's a normal one <laughs> just a normal coke <laughs> it's not fruit it's loop vodka unfortunately damn I don't think Fruit Loop vodka and Coke would be a pleasant experience, but oh, no. that's just me who doesn't like vodka too much. Yeah. I see. I don't like Fruit Loops that much, so nothing, nothing could go with that. But I would want to try it just for the sake of trying. Um, I was going to make more coffee right before uh, we started this podcast, but I decided it would take more time than it would to just crack a bottle of beer open. So I'm drinking a <laughs> uh, Line and Kugel Summer Shandy. Oh, Summer's starting early over here. Yeah, it's already 100 degrees for me. What? Consistently. Fuck I, I fucking hate <laughs> Jesus it. Jesus Christ. It is 49. The folly here. of man building a large city in the middle of the fucking desert. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> it is not quite that hot here, but I'm in the, the summer state of mind, listening to a lot of city pop and infusion. So it's it's summer in, in my mind's oh. eye. <laughs> I've already stocked up on um uh sour beers, so... I'm ready. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's 49 and rainy here, baby. Ooh, love a rainy day. True. I feel like we should just get into it then, but I do... I, you didn't share this earlier. We were off mic, so I'm going to ask you now while we're on mic, Danny. Um, I know how you went about watching this movie, but do you want to share with Danielle how you watched this movie? Oh. Is this about that fucking message about the... Uh, the uh... So, like, in our Discord server, I just see a link from Austin with a subtitle file, and I'm just very confused as to what's happening. Oh, no, so that subtitle, subtitle file is just um, the edit for... So in the the subtitle file I was using before in the last recording, they kept, like, misspelling names. Um, so, like, uh, Frau, Frau Bao, Hal, Hal Now Frau Bao, or whatever. Her name kept changing between, like, Fro Bo, Frau Bao, etc., um, so that 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 subtitle track is just uh, actually good edited uh, subtitles. No, so <clears throat> our friend Tyler, uh, who you can find at Twitch.tv/slash Tino Crisis, I think, yeah, um, was streaming Resident Evil Eight last night. So um, at a certain point, I just kind of zoned out of that stream and just watched uh, Gundam on the side. While me and Danny were also on a voice call together. <laughs> at some point, you just went, oh, rip Matilda. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, wait, did you finish it already? Because earlier we had talked about how, like, oh, neither of us have watched the movie yet. <laughs> oh, like, oh, no, I'm watching it right now. Yeah, yeah, no. I think I said last night, like, oh, I finished it 100%. What I meant was I finished watching it for that night. I finished it this morning. But, um, gotcha. but yeah, no. you stopped after Matilda, yeah, died, around right? that which point, is yeah. like where I recommended like, oh, that's probably a good place to stop if you want to watch it in like two you, seconds. You could really tell we're over the hump for the podcast or we're not excited to watch the episodes for the podcast anymore. We're like, ah, fuck, gotta do this before we record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
We're already in our I decline. was very excited to watch this one because of my boy, Ramba Rall. Oh, hell yeah, uh, Ramba Rall. May he rest in peace. Uh, and his dad, Rimba Rall, may he rest in peace. And his friend, Cusco? Uh, Cousin. Cousin, yeah. Yeah. Not, not the Emperor's uh, new groove guy. Yeah, and Clamp. <laughs> Which I was like, because I had, uh, in one of the Gundam Origin volumes, there's an interview with Clamp, like the manga collective. I was like, is that where they got their name from? Because <laughs> uh, they talk about like being influenced by the Gundam movies, uh, but that's not it. It's like a misspelling of clump. <laughs> I have a fucking picture somewhere of a character like, oh shit, Clamp character designs? Because it looks, it's got like the fucking noodle limbs. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, that may sound like um disparaging towards clamp but no their character designs slap for being <laughs> out there and uh i i did check uh we had mentioned this last episode that there was essentially a release of an uh, english dub that was released one time and then never really again because they kept fucking up uh, i did check the files that we're using or at least i'm using have that english dub track and yeah they do say the duchy of Zeon instead of the principality which is very funny and it has steve blum which just you know yeah that dub's like not available on like any modern english release which is that's fun i think like it was only ever released on like a vhs i think we talked about that last time was it sunrise who does did this yep yeah um yeah sunrise was like hey y'all pronounced gundam gundam you pronounce <laughs> uh principality as duchy somehow etc etc yeah i think we're all coming off uh white hot off this movie trying to get it in at the last minute mm-hmm. um so i know i just finished it uh about an hour ago so very uh front of mind very excited to talk about certain things um so i guess we'll just get into it we'll do what we did last time not gonna do like a big plot summary for a two-hour movie we'll just kind of talk through the movie and then general thoughts at the end um so this movie starts off with like a recap of events prior makes sense like all the episodes of the tv show mostly start the same way of kind of like not even like a recap of what happened to the last episode just like hey here's the stakes of the of the world but this is more of like a recap of like here's what happened last time remember when garma died and char laughed about it and um all that fun stuff um i think so right off the bat well actually before i move past the recap there is something in the recap that i was like oh there's the answer to your question danny they they do explain what minofsky particles are oh yeah in that recap of what happened last time mm-hmm. um which we didn't get into last time um but the thing with Minoski particles is they're basically like the in-universe explanation of why mobile suits exist in the first place. Uh, like Minoski particles are these things that like uh, like ships out in space can basically like dispel and they jam radar and like long range communication and stuff like that, which basically necessitates close range fighting. Um, and so that's why like mobile suits are invented. So yeah the way they they kind of break it up is the mcclunky particles they like they literally oh like, disrupt <laughs> they disrupt uh i had that joke last time and i didn't get to say it. i had to work it in somehow but um uh they like dis- disrupt radar and and blah, blah, blah. and they kind of mentioned that in the last movie they mentioned it very offhand where they say like you know we can't get through because like it's dense with uh, uh minofsky particles you know, blah, 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 blah. And then they kind of just skip past it without going into it. So yeah, this is the first time that we actually get into it. Yeah, I feel like in the original show, they just straight up never give you that quick like, oh, here's what Minofsky particles are. You're just meant to pick it up from context clues every time someone's like, oh, we can't get a read on them. The Minofsky particle density is too high. Um, and it's also just like one of those things, it's just such a Gundam proper noun that, you know, you just kind of, a lot of 
like when I went into this original series last year, like I knew it because I'd seen enough other Gundam stuff and knew enough about Gundam to just know what Minovsky particles are. But it is kind of weird. They don't make too much of a point of explaining them. Yeah, I was wondering if it's kind of, you know, in the same vein, I guess, not like the same, but like same idea as kind of like the gate incident in Bebop, how that kind of like catastrophic event had affected everything else. If the Minovsky particles are something like, oh, when we were first getting up into space, you know, this happened causing the release of Minovsky particles. Because whenever they referenced it in the first one, it was almost as if it was like a bad, like a, you know, thing they had to overcome. Like, oh God, there's like a lot of Minovsky particles kind of thing. I mean, to me, it reads like, oh, um, artillery shots are a boring way to make an action series. Let's say Mm -hmm. uh, those can't happen. Oh, you know, sure. Like, I'm sure that's, you know, the thought. But I didn't know, like, in-universe, if it was something where it's like, oh, Minovsky particles are, like Austin said, kind of dispelled by ships. Or if it's like... Like a natural phenomenon. Like a phenomenon. Like, oh, we're in space now. And there's all this, basically, like, cosmic background radiation is McClunky particles. McClunky. Yeah. Like, so there's a whole lot of lore behind them, like they're named after uh, like a scientist that comes up in like manga and comics and stuff that I don't think is ever in any of the anime. Maybe he's probably in the origin anime. He comes up in the origin comics. Um, but yeah, it's basically just like, a, you know, hey, we're we're doing a hard like military sci-fi show about giant robots. We need something to explain why there are giant robots in the first place. And it's because like, oh, ships can't fire good in space because of this particle we've invented. Um, but it's nice to have that explanation in there, um, especially because Minovsky particles didn't actually come up too much in this movie, but it'll definitely be in the next movie now that they'll they'll be back in space in movie three. Um, another thing I noticed in the recap uh, that didn't stand out to me last time is the Gaw, which is like the big ship that uh, Garma um, flies the into the white base. The front of its face uh, looks a lot like the, it's not literally the first angel, I think it's technically like the third angel, but the first angel you see in uh neon genesis evangelion um the face looked very similar to the front of the gall and mm. you know, knowing Anno, that's probably not like a too much of a coincidence right but i thought that was interesting to notice i hadn't picked that up before it's got just kind of like a kind of like a beak looking front of it i don't know i like a lot of the zeon ship designs and stuff in this movie in particular um and then the the kind of opening scene after the recap is like um it's a couple of scenes with like i think Matilda and Bright kind of cutting back to them and then also General Revel who's the general of like the the ground forces for the Federation talking about new types and stuff I think all of that is completely new to this movie I didn't get the the chance to double check um I think the biggest difference overall in this movie between uh it and the tv show is the word new type is probably said way more in this movie than it is in the like 15 episodes or so that they're pulling from for this movie like i and i might be wrong about that but i want to say they kind of talk around the word new type a lot in the tv show and it doesn't become like a proper noun until they get to jaburo um and then amara's like getting tested and stuff like that and people are like oh they think he's a new type oh what's a new type um i think it's kind of smart for this movie to be like no you know we should introduce that term a whole lot earlier yeah. the character's actually talking about like what it means to be a new type am i a new type is she a new type is char a new type and all that stuff. Um, I think it's definitely a an added benefit to the movie. Um, but I thought that was really interesting to notice. But I think those those first couple scenes, like with General Revel and the ship, I think that might just be completely new to the movie. Not like rearranged, uh, sure but like not. actually 
Yeah, because I think that I know the third movie for sure has some new scenes. I think this one also does. They were kind of hard to spot, though. I would think so, because like I remember seeing a few scenes where they definitely looked a lot clearer, and that made me mm-hmm. think it was movie exclusive. Like you just weren't seeing some of the inf- the imperfections of the clear celluloid. <laughs> yeah, and some of those uh, those opening scenes looked like that too, which made me think like, oh, I think these are new. Like I'm not just not remembering these; they also look like they're newer. <laughs> Um, like I said, I think I think that was interesting. Um, and then I guess in general, the first like hour or so of this movie is the white base on the run from Ramba Rawl and also trying to make their way to Operation Odessa, which we'll get to. But that's very underexplained in this movie mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to the um, uh, the show. But I think so. I had an absolute blast watching the first like forty five minutes of this because it is just unrelenting, like. The white base faces off against Rambaral's forces. They narrowly escape. They face off against them again and just repeat that until eventually Rambaral and the rest of his crew are dead. Um, and Operation Odessa is a success. Um, but so much of that stuff is so good. Um, it's kind of all over the place. So I'm not really sure where to start with all of that, though. I do have a question before we get deeper into the plot. Um, mm-hmm. Out of all three movies, is this the one that adapts the most episodes of the original show? Because it sure as hell feels like it. Uh, yes. It's up to okay. episode 30? <laughs> yeah, this is 16 through 30, so it's 15 episodes. I think um, the first movie is like 13. 1 through 13, and then they just straight up cut out 14 and 15, um, which is a shame because 14 is, I think it's 14, it might be 15, but one of those two episodes is an episode called Time Be Still, which is probably like, or at least a lot of people, probably myself, I don't know, there's some later episodes I really like, but a lot of people would say, it's one of, if not the best episodes of the original Mobile Suit Gundam because it is just like this very singular contained episode, but also like pulls from a lot of the character work they'd been doing up to that point. And it's just like a really fucking solid like military sci-fi episode. Um, it's very good. It revolves around like the uh, Gundam having a bunch of bombs placed on it by like ground forces. That's very good. I almost asked if we could watch that in addition to this, but didn't seem like it was worth the extra time but it's a good episode so i would recommend that one um but yeah this definitely adapts the most because the next one will be uh, assuming they don't cut any episodes there's only 31 through 43 left so you know 13 episodes yeah it, it felt like some of some of the editing the decisions they made it felt like they were like really under a we don't want this movie going over um 130 minutes so we're gonna have to like be pretty judicious with cutting everything that's not relevant yeah for sure and it's also just like those episodes are so much of that like they get attacked and then they're in the clear and then they're attacked and then they're clear and like they definitely like cut stuff out but they cut it out so that it's just like super fucking fast paced Mm -hmm. which i liked a lot i don't know if that plays as well if you're watching like the story for the first time but so much so many of those romper all episodes are really fucking good um and so i i liked the the quick pace between all of them what's the um years of these movies far apart are they oh good question i think they're uh they might be about like a year apart okay because you had said so the original gundam series did not finish properly right it finished like the story wrapped up it's just they got uh, less episodes than they were initially promised right so they didn't get that kind of the, the the full scope of what they promised but then the first movie was considered you know quote unquote from someone who is of a, of importance a turning point in anime essentially 
you know, just mm-hmm. by the popularity of the first movie. So going back to what you said about, you know, assuming they don't cut anything out for the last movie, um, I wonder if they alter the ending or expand the ending of the anime. Uh, basically, again, like, this is the the ending that we would have fleshed out if we had given gotten all the uh, episodes that we were promised. So I haven't, like I said, I haven't actually seen these movies before we're watching them now, but um, if I understand correctly, no, that's not the case. Okay. They the, the things they change are relatively minor. It's more like, oh, we're going to have this character do this thing instead of this character do it or whatever. Are they going like to explain new like, types now rather than later? Exactly. But the overall story is mostly unchanged throughout the films. Um, there is a series of novels um, that is basically like the original conception of the, of the story from Tamino before like they had to change things because the production changed which results in like Amaro dying at some point huh. I mean spoilers he doesn't die right he's in he's in Zeta that's not a spoiler mm-hmm. um but uh and he's in Charles Counterattack he's on the poster for that that's not a spoiler um but Amaro dies early early on or not early on but like halfway through and then Char becomes a member of the white base and like gets like a red Gundam uh which is why, if you've seen them, there are like plenty of uh, Gunpla model kits of Kosval's Gundam, is what it's called, <laughs> um, which is based off the novels that um, depict, like, hey, here's what it could have been if they actually got their full 52 episodes. And To be fair, didn't get the production cut short. There's also Hello Kitty Gundam, so in terms of being limited by the source material, I don't know that Gunpla cares about... Uh... Oh, I mean, that's a whole rabbit hole to get into, <laughs> but there's there's... <laughs> there's basically like created fiction just to justify the existence of like variations on mobile suits and in gunplay form and stuff like that it's it's really cool do they ever do how <laughs> like what um i don't know what the actual partnership was but remember when uh namora did batman oh god yeah, like, no no no, no. Bear, 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 bear with me uh <laughs> it's do they ever do that in gunplay where they say like oh you know what we just wanted to get such and such person who's famous for their character design to make a Gundam like we don't give a shit about any in in universe explanation we just want to make a cool looking Gunpla set um not to that extent okay not where it's like oh this famous designer came in or whatever mm. they've done a couple things like that and it's not that they always need to have like a lore explanation for um Gundam kits you know obviously like the Hello Kitty Gundam stuff exists yeah um but it's it's funny how they will like create like basically like fan fiction to then sell mobile mobile suit <laughs> kits uh of. um just made me think of that um but yeah so i guess i guess maybe talk about ramba raw um because there's a lot going on with this character that he's basically just as developed in this movie as in the tv show but there's definitely like layers to him that aren't maybe necessarily immediately obvious or just like real quick lines mm. to explain them i think like one of the first scenes we get with him in this movie is um him talking with his uh, wife, Haman. Uh, what a power couple, by the way. Um, <laughs> they're so good. Uh, uh, yeah, my lesbian ass likes Haman. Haman. <laughs> Haman, is this Jojo's? We are, we are all Amaro when, <laughs> when she walks into that bar and he's like, oh, pretty lady. Um, Amaro just I can't mean, resist when he sees an older lady. <laughs> it's more about the, uh, the menacing looks she has later on as like, yes, thank you for the food, finally. <laughs> <laughs> are very good yeah, rumba rolls um, big daddy energy which i love yes he rules he's so good um there's a scene early on when they're talking and it's basically like you know like him and his men have been tasked with um basically getting revenge for the death of garmazabi uh chasing after the white base 
and um you know Haman's like asking him like oh why uh why did you accept this mission and he kind of lets on that like a lot like char he's got things against the zabi family and um you know like wants to seek some sort of revenge and his way of doing that is like you know kind of getting a promotion getting his men promotion he also talks about and like kind of like getting him and Haman closer and closer to like the inner circle of the zombies to like be able to rub shoulders with them and like enact some sort of political change we also get like a line later when uh way later in the film when he uh right right before he dies he meets um Sayla who in this movie we we finally kind of get confirmation of like she is Lady Artasia uh child of Zeon Daikun who is the previous leader of the principality of Zeon before he dies and is taken over by the zombie family um uh that she knew Rampa Rao when she was like a child and so like you kind of get like a picture of like oh like Rampa Rao is someone that was like you know close with Char and Sela's father and so therefore feels a lot of the same things that Char feels about the zombie family and like how they've taken over the the principality yeah if, if it's not clear by the by the description of Sela that uh she is Char's sister uh her younger his younger sister she gets that moment in the first movie where it, she sees him it's like is that Cosfall? Mm-hmm. is that my brother and then in this movie she's like it really is yeah like, is she, my she literally <laughs> says like big brother or onichan whatever yeah there's a great moment where she uh or kind of jumping all around but she uh they've uh at some point they get like one of uh romperall's men taken aboard prisoner and she's very interested in meeting this guy she's like oh let me be the one to give him food <laughs> and she's like asking all these questions like what do you know about the red comet is he is he really uh still alive is he is he is he wanderer now and it's like man if i were if i were rue who's like standing right behind her i'd be like uh sailor's acting weird <laughs> um i mean they do throw her in like the brig for three days because of they do those questions <laughs> no she, they throw her in the brig because um uh is it not because she like steals off with the gundam which happens earlier oh i thought that was for asking the questions it was like pretty unclear because it was like she gets thrown in the brig right after questioning him. Yeah. Maybe just, like, caught up with him. I don't know. Thing. Maybe it was hard to follow because of, like, there's a few scenes throughout the, the movie that I was having trouble following, mm. I think, because of all the cuts. Yeah. It definitely felt a lot of it was, was like, kind of jarring of how quickly they, like, move on because it's it's clear that, like, oh, this ends an episode and this next scene is the beginning of the episode and there's really nothing good to bridge the two of those things together. Um, yeah, very obvious it's a compilation movie rather than a film. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure she ends up in the brig because um, she piloted the Gundam without someone ordering her to. And I think it's just, like, as she is also being taken to the brig, she is like, hey, let me be the one to give this Zeon soldier his food um, or something like that. Uh, okay, right that's... they do throw her yeah. in the brig. That's just not the impression I got from watching because, I don't know, was there an end of episode in there or something? Who the fuck knows? Because um, I think th- there's, like... I think the weird thing is, like, why do they let her just do that if they're also in the middle of throwing her into the brig? But I think there's, like, a scene right before that on the bridge with Bright where Bright's asking her, like, oh, why did you go out into the, the mobile suit? Because she goes out because she wants to... F- it, it's so weird. She goes out in the mobile suit because she's like, oh, that's a Xeon soldier out there. Maybe they'll know something about my brother. <laughs> they all know each other, right? Like, Yeah. And I feel like that's just as sudden in the show, too, where it's like, why is she all of a sudden, like, I've got to find everything I can about my brother, even if it means, like, breaking rank? Seemed really weird for how she is, like, the rest of the show up to that point. Um there's also, I guess I'll talk about it later, but I'll mention it now. Um, one of the soldiers, uh, the sol- or the soldier that's captured is like, 
hey, don't you know you got to feed me three meals a day? And someone's like, yeah, we've read the, the Antarctic uh, Treaty, mm. um, which is a thing that I, I like pointed out in my notes because I was like, aha, I've seen this show before. That's going to come up later. And it fucking doesn't because they cut it out. Of oh, the, womp, the movie. Womp, womp. Um, so I'll explain what they cut when we get to it. But it was so weird that they name dropped that. I mean, I guess, you know, kind of have to have some of those scenes. Um, but like there's a scene where like they torture him and he's like, haven't you read the Antarctic or no bright goes I've read the Antarctic treaty I know what torture I'm allowed to do um, <laughs> uh, the, the big, state sanctioned uh, torture big Star Trek Enterprise uh, uh, what's his face the captain and that trying to figure out how space 9-11 happened uh, energy in that scene where it's like don't I'll torture you however way I want I've read the Antarctic treaty is that Captain Janeway no, that's Steve Space. Yeah, no, that's Voyager. Voyager. What's his name? I it's been forever since I've seen Enterprise. Uh, They're all trash anyway. anyway. Star Wars suck. Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Star Wars does suck. <laughs> that was a meme, by that's the way. A... Star Trek's fine. Star Wars is also fine, but it's got it coming coming for it. it all of them are okay, except for three, which is superb. Now that we've dropped that bombshell, what's next? Uh, there's a, a ship called the Fat Uncle. They get the... Uh, I think this is before all that, but uh, Ramba Rawl gets like a um, an extra Zaku delivered to him or something, and it comes in a ship that they call the Fat Uncle, uh, which I think is not like a like a playful name. I think that's literally like the name for that Zeon ship. It's just like this big fucking ship with like a cargo bay belly that drops off of the Zeon. Love that. Um, so okay, so the guy is in the. Pr- I like the sequence a lot. So they've got like the Zeon prisoner in the brig next to Sela, and he. Um, He's like, oh, these uh, um, these soldiers are all too young to have properly checked me. And then he pulls out a golden tooth and a string, or like a wire from his pants, and then ties it around the door. And it turns out the gold tooth is a bomb, <laughs> and he escapes. <laughs> uh, so that was all great. Um, There's a great line where he like goes up to Sela, and he's like, you know, because she was asking all of those loaded questions about like Char and Zeon. He's like, hey, you're clearly one of us, right? Like, you're clearly with Zeon. I'll help you escape out of here. And she's like, you fool. Little did you know, I was just talking about my brother. Guards, he's escaping. Um, uh, and then there's this great sequence of, like, you know, him being on the ship, like, radioing to Rambaral, and then Rambaral's, like, um, attacking them. At the same time, they're trying to deal with this, like, you know, Zeon soldier on their ship that ends with um, uh, he gets, uh, like, rocket launchered out of the... <laughs> out of the ship mm-hmm. they try to like break down the door behind where he's trying to escape from and as he's like about to fly out they blast in the door and the blast from that kills him uh so rip cousin yeah uh, c-o-z-u-n not like cousin but cousin <laughs> yeah um, some of the some of the deaths in this one are are you know they're not like animated brutally but they are pretty kind of like shocking I know there's one point this might be later on but uh where i think there's like a on soldier he's like grabbing char or not char excuse me grabbing amuro and like amuro is like trying to fight back like oh like even if i'm not in a gundam i can still fight and then i think bright just comes out of nowhere and just like fucking blasts him like point Mm -hmm. blank and it's like wow like like huh (laughs) like it's not you know they kind of make the point in the last movie where amuro is like oh you know i can only shoot zakus i can't shoot a person like that's different and now they're you know just full kind of mask off like yeah no like this is war we gotta fucking blast these people into the next dimension kind of thing yeah a whole lot of people die in uh this movie mm-hmm. that are not just like um in mobile suits or completely unnamed characters or at least like characters that didn't get any screen time before they died uh, 
so yeah rest in peace cousin um not long after that there's a really great shot um that kind of leads into an interesting scene um but it's a really good shot that i had to to point out of um because i love it so much of amuro he's like sitting in a chair next to like a computer terminal or whatever in the hangar bay with the gundam behind it and he's on like the second level of the hangar bay or whatever so you can just only see the gundam and the way that they've got the gundam kind of leaned back on like a um what you would call it when it's like a mech but almost like kind of like a stretcher but it's like you know slanted um it's just a really great shot love the composition there but that leads into what i think is a really interesting scene of uh amro's like nodded off in this corner and in come bright and mirai thinking they're gonna have like a private conversation out of the hangar bay late at night um and they're talking about uh taking amro off of the gundam and having either sayla or Ryu pilot instead, um, and then Amuro wakes up, uh, hears what they're talking about, uh, has a little bit of a cry, and then runs out, and then <laughs> Bright very coldly is like, or Mirai's like, we should go after him, or how are we going to explain that to him, or something like that, and Bright's just like, like, oh, it's just for the, it, it's for the better, we would have had to have had this conversation with him anyway, <laughs> it's like, wow, what an asshole. I just thought it was fucking ghoulish after everything in the last movie of, like, yelling at Amuro and slapping him and being like, you're not a real man if you don't get in the Gundam and kill those people, uh, for them to be like, oh, you know what, we can't have Amuro on the Gundam anymore. <laughs> it's like, you could have done that. He's too good at using the, uh, the super weapon, so now he's not allowed to use that anymore. Yeah, Bright's kind of interesting in that, like, you would you would kind of expect someone to, I don't know, like, be disillusioned at this point, especially towards the end of the movie, where he literally has the line where it's like, oh, so you want white base to, to specialize in being a decoy. You would think that he would almost be like, oh, you know what, like, we are literally just pawns and like, blah, 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 blah. But instead, he just kind of keeps, <laughs> he kind of keeps on keeping on, like, I guess maybe it's just kind of like the reality of the situation that there is nowhere else to go. But yeah, like they they just like, well, like all of, them of everyone just on take the it. ship. Yeah, and of all of everyone on the ship, Bright's kind of like the most bought in from the get go. Like he's like a like a junior officer at the start, um, and is like you know like clearly has aspirations to be like the captain of a spacefaring ship, and gets that all like thrust upon him. So you do get the sense that like he probably thinks to himself like, oh, I've got to hold. Uh, it together for the sake of everybody else on the ship, even if that make means making what he perceives as like hard decisions to either you know psychologically abuse Amuro to get him into the mech or psychologically abuse him by saying no, well now you can't get in the mech. Like he's like <laughs> pulling treats away from a dog or something. Gaslight like gatekeep girl boss, bright. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I do think he's an interesting character in that way. I'm um, just now realizing that they did cut out. I think it would have been in the last movie. Um, they cut out a. I think it's over the course of an episode or two where similar to how like Amuro kind of goes into a vegetative state and like can't pilot the Gundam um, and they kind of have to beat it out of him. There's an episode I think where uh, Bright claims that he's like sick, right? And it's at to a degree he is, but it's more so like he's just like shutting down because he's got all that responsibility thrust upon him all of a sudden to be in charge of the ship and everybody on it and all the refugees that are on it. Um, which is something we don't get. So in the movie, it does just more come across as like, no, he is fully bought in, has had very few moments of self-doubt, um, even if you know he's made poor decisions along the way. Well, and he's, he's only a junior lieutenant still at this point. I think that happened at the end of the first movie where he starts out as like ensign, whatever, 
and by the end of the movie like matilda just says like oh hey junior lieutenant and he's like what so he's not like he is like the captain or like the leader of the white face but he's still not like valued i guess um so in terms of like him having doubts that aren't exactly shown in the movie at least like he he's not like rewarded for his efforts he's like marginally promoted to the point where he might have some command over people like some legitimately legitimacy of control over the white base but he's not like you know in the first movie the captain gets like shot or wounded by like shrapnel and he like gets off at uh jabroni and <laughs> dies in the series but not the the movie like he like bright's not promoted to that level he's just like the cap the leader of a decoy ship um so i can imagine for sure like in i definitely see in the anime that like yeah him kind of breaking down under the responsibility kind of thrust upon him not just without any kind of recognition but also like without any training without any experience to to this point Um, because yeah he's young he's a junior lieutenant yeah and yet still like the I think maybe you might be the same age, but basically like the oldest person on the ship at this point. I feel like we're not really following the plot, but that's okay. This is a this is a like vibe I said, this stream. This whole section of the movie is is really just like you know they fight Rambaral, they escape, they fight him again. The circumstances are just like different each time. I guess like the base, like the first time they fight him, it's Sailor goes out in the Gundam without anybody knowing because she's like, oh, those are Zeon officers. I can get some information, and Amara's got to go out in the gun cannon and save her. Um, which I guess I should have mentioned that earlier because I like that of like, you know, I said in the last episode that there's kind of like early on this like, oh, is Amuro really like the super special boy that can only pil- be the only one to pilot the Gundam? Or is it just like, oh, the Gundam's just such a good mech that it doesn't matter if he can pilot it or not. It's going to withstand the damage. And as long as he can like shoot back, then he'll win. Um, and this one you see him in like the obviously lesser mobile suit and the gun cannon and is still like kicking ass. And um, I think fully at this point, like before, like the thing that also makes the scene of, uh, you know, Bright telling him, oh, you can't be in the Gundam anymore is that he's really starting to come into his own at this point. He's like, you know, he's studying like the simulations of the Zaku's fighting the Gundam in his spare time. He's like, you know, he's sleeping in the mech bay because he's like working on the Gundam and running diagnostics and stuff like that. Like at this point, he's really like that is like his entire sense of self now is like, Oh, I'm the Gundam pilot. <laughs> so for, for bright to be like, Oh, you can't do that anymore. It's like, Ooh, that, that stings even more, even if it's kind of fucked up that Amaro has made that his own self identity is like, Oh, I'm the Gundam pilot, but it's nice to see like, Oh, he really has become like a proficient mobile suit pilot. Uh, when he's like piloting the gun cannon, trying to save Sela and Sela being in the Gundam is like, Oh, you know, it is like an extremely powerful mobile suit, but if you don't know what you're doing when you're in the cockpit, it doesn't really matter much. You can still um, get beaten by a better pilot. Yeah, which kind of goes to the um, question, you know, that I don't know what the answer is or if there is a good answer to it, of is Gundam anti-war? Amuro, like you said, is coming into his own. His sense of identity is basically being revolved around a weapon of, of, of war, you know, a weapon of mass destruction. Um, and the, the movies are kind of treating it as like a bad thing when he's not allowed to do that. Like, you know, they're showing us his like, you know, kind of breakdown when, when Bright's like, yeah, you can't use this mech anymore. Um, and the movie's never like, oh, you know what? That's a good thing. He can like sleep now. It's like, no, he, he should be in the mech bay 
sleeping and studying and sucking and fucking his way up to the mech or whatever. <laughs> like it kind of it, it you know, I don't know again what their intention were was, but like it definitely feels like they're like, Yes, this is the place he he belongs and should belong kind of thing. I think it kinda of goes back into the um you know, it's it's less that it's like pro or anti war and more just like a conflict like this, like it is all consuming. Like even if Amra wasn't in the Gundam, he would still be, you know, consumed by the war in, in one way or another. So for him it's like at least I've got this thing now that I can actually do. Like I know I can help out, like help the other people on this crew that I care about survive and you're taking that one thing I can do really well away from me. So it's less like uh oh yeah, we want to see him go out there and, and kill people and more like, you know, like, no, he's finally like found himself in this crew and you're about to take that away from him. Yeah. Which kind of echoes with Ramba Rawl and his crew where he's like constantly like, oh, I'm doing this for my men. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like Ramba Rawl and his, other than like his grander political motivations isn't more, isn't as concerned about defeating the white base for the sake of getting revenge for Garbazabi as he is about like what it will do for his men and for himself if, if he gets that victory. I'd be kind of interested to see like how someone who is like conservative slash pro-war views this anime like I'm, like so i'm you know pretty staunchly anti-war um i and so i view a lot of the stuff involving you know bringing these people you know kind of forcing them to keep fighting and keep fighting to the past their breaking point as like you know like oh like to me it's like oh look at these horrors of war i'd be very interested to know if someone who is not anti-war um is like oh like you know good now they can get the job done like they can do what's necessary kind of thing like regardless of authorial intent i wonder what the how the perception of the person viewing this really changes how mm -hmm. you know it's what the message really is kind of thing yeah i could easily see that happening just happening just because of like how many pro-war people will get different messages out of hollywood movies about war mm -hmm. than uh, anti-war people yeah so like yeah, and I feel like that's never or rarely ever the failing of the oh, uh, yeah, object no, itself yeah. and more just so like those kinds of people always bring that form of ideology to the things they watch. Um I would be I haven't I haven't heard any or read anything of like, you know, opinions on Gundam from people that are heavily pro war or anything like that. Yeah, because those people fucking suck, so why listen to them? Yeah, that's that's the that's <laughs> well, the catch. That, but it's also just like I don't know, I don't know if I don't know if anyone's out here like let's go interview my conservative father about what he thinks of Mobile Suit Gundam because I just, you know, wonder how many people like that have even watched Gundam. Yeah, given given that there are uh, people who watch American History X and view it as, like, a good, like, a pro-neo-Nazi movie, yeah, it's not the, it's not the, it doesn't matter what you see on the screen, you, you're going to kind of pull from it what you pull from it, uh, what you want to pull from it, because, um, yikes. <laughs> so yeah, there's the Ramba fight with Sela and the Gundam, then there's the fight while they've got Kozin aboard, and then I think the next fight is after an extended scene of, uh, oh, right. Cause so after they're like, Amro, you can't pilot the Gundam anymore. He's like, fine, I'll just desert and take the Gundam with me. <laughs> pretty, pretty power move. Uh, good for him, considered. you know, good for him. Yeah. Um, so he escapes, we get a real cheesy ass insert song and I didn't even look it up or check the credits or anything, but you just fucking know Tamino wrote those lyrics. They're just literally like what Amaru is feeling. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm so sad. I've run off on my own. Everything is just dust in the wind as he's like out in the desert and wind is whipping his face. <laughs> it's the Seto Kaiba hacking into 
uh, his own thing song. <laughs> yes, it's literally that. <laughs> Tomino write that too. Oh God. Uh, uh, but it was so fucking funny. It was very good. Um, and then so he's like, you know, wandering off on his own. Um, he runs into to town to get a bite to eat, and oh, would you look at that? Uh, in comes uh, Ramba Raw, Lady Haman, and the rest of their their crew to also get a bite to eat. Um, this is when Amaro sees Lady Haman is like, ooh, pretty lady, and is just like starstruck. And then uh, Haman also has some takes some weird liking to Amaro and is like, oh, go f- feed that boy over there too. Put him on our our tab. Um, and we get this excellent scene where uh, Frau Bo has also run off from the uh, the white base to look for Amaro, gets captured by one of Rampa Rawl's guys outside, uh, is dragged in, and then it's very quickly, you know, revealed that, like, oh, Amaro knows this girl. Oh, and she's wearing a Federation suit, so this guy must be from the Federation. And so um, there's this really great scene of with him and Rampa Rawl where Rampa Rawl's like, oh, for a boy such your age, you've got some guts, you know, just hanging out here with a bunch of Xeon soldiers, and he sees that Amaro's, like, got his gun uh, uh, in hand, like behind the cloak that he's wearing, and he just kind of like lifts his cloak open, sees that, and then closes it, and it's like, yeah, you got real guts, uh, my boy, or whatever, and says like, you know, I remember I won't be so nice in a different setting like this, or whatever. Um, which is a really interesting scene because neither of them know, like, you know, uh, Amar doesn't know. Oh, hey, that's the the pilot of the goof, um, the blue mobile <laughs> suit that Robert Rawl pilots, and Robert Rawls doesn't know that that's the uh, pilot of the Gundam it's just like oh you know young Federation boy he's got a lot of gusto that kid <laughs> I forgot that the name of it was the goof because my like mm-hmm. it was like oh the captain of like the electric squid guy or whatever the fuck and it's like the goof it's like yeah okay great mobile suit uh the goof um lots of great mobile suits in the in this movie which we'll get to the goof troop um <laughs> yes Rambo Rawl and his oh my troop. god uh <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, Frabo and, and Amaro run off. Uh, Frabo goes back to the white base and Amaro goes back to where he's buried his Gundam. Um, the white base ends up under attack from Rambaral, uh and his men uh, while Amaro is like distracted by the Gallop, which is the ship that Amaro, or not Amaro, uh, Rambaral, uh is running. Um, and then we get this great scene eventually. You know, Amaro meets back up at the white base after Ryu decides to distract the Gallop, which I don't know if I just blinked and missed it. But so later on, like not that far later on, we see Rue's been like injured in the conflict. And I was like, damn, if only I could go out there and fight. But this damn body of mine won't let me. But I don't think we see him get injured. Did I miss that? Because <laughs> he's supposed to get injured there when he, he's like, don't worry, Amaro, I'll distract the gallop. You go after the goof and the Zakus that are, uh, the Zakus that are attacking the white base. But I don't think we then see the seed where like he's like fighting the gallop and gets injured. I don't know. Maybe I just missed it. Um, but that seemed weird to me. Uh, but anyway, we get to, again, if it weren't for some of the stuff that happens in the third movie, which I'm very excited to get to, this is easily one of my favorite scenes in uh, all of the original Gundam, this fight between Rambaral and Amaro. It's like the most direct fight they've gotten up to this point. Everything about it just rules um, right off the bat, like the poses they're all standing in, uh, kind of the way that like, there's these really great shots of like their two mobile suits like readying their beam sabers and the way like the beams are like curving as they're like, they've honestly got them in like these like samurai ass poses where they're like the beam sabers like pulled back and stuff like that or just kind of like, like Jedi <laughs> going back. To oh Saturday. my God. But it's also good. Like all the shot composition is just great. And then we get, you know, this kind of back to back of like Amro is able to, well, I guess before that, 
Rambaral, we see that his goose got like a computer on board where he's like predicting the Gundam's movements. Except he doesn't predict the fact that Amuro's just going to use his shield as a decoy and then jump up in the air <laughs> and fucking somersault <laughs> onto him, which is incredible. Uh, and because he gets that jump on him, he's able to cut through like the torso of the goof. Um, and then Robert Rawl very quickly retaliates and does the same with the Gundam. And then we get this amazing back and forth, like the screen goes all blue, where they're able to see inside of the cockpit of each other's mechs after cutting each other open. And they can see like, oh, that's that boy I just met in that bar. Oh, that's that nice old man that was going to offer to feed me until he realized I was a Federation officer. Um, and just this great like, uh, I don't know. You just get like a real sense of like both the larger scale of the conflict with them being in these like big old mechs, but also like it's just entirely intimate in a way that all the other mech fights hadn't been at this point. It's just so great for them to kind of have that uh, intense realization of like who they're fighting and like what the stakes are. Yeah. Um, Ron Baral is like knows that his mobile suit's gonna uh, blow up, so he like <laughs> does such a Chad <laughs> move. Grapple like, hooks his way out of there. Yeah, he, he grapple hooks the Gundam's crotch and then, like, <laughs> swings underneath, uh, like, through the legs of the Gundam and, like, pops out the other side and starts running off. It's like, come pick me up, Hummin. Uh, <laughs> my wife, I need you. The Gundam taint. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's a great shot at the end of all of it where the, the goof blows up because all these mechs have basically many nuclear reactors inside of them. Uh, and there's a great kind of wide shot as... Um, Rambaral's running off of the Gundam, the big flame cloud from the goof, and then the white base in the background. It's just uh, I bolded in my notes. Now this is real mech shit. Um, <laughs> it's just so rules. Like every second of those like two minutes or whatever that they're fighting and up until the end is just incredible. It's sublime. Which you wouldn't remember necessarily the the fact that the the mechs all have like the basically like mini nuclear reactors in it because. In the first movie, it comes up once, like at the beginning, where Amuro accidentally basically blows out the side of uh, Side Seven and quote unquote kills his father by blasting him out into space. Like after that, uh, uh, what's Amuro is like, oh, I'm I can't like shoot the engine. I have to shoot the cockpit, kind of thing. So yeah. I don't think there's another point where in the first movie where that happens. So the fact that you know in this one, you know the mech fucking goes nuclear. It's like, oh, okay, like, I forgot about that fact because, uh, you know, Amuro was good about not doing that because he didn't want to blow up Side 7 and he didn't want to do all this other shit. Yeah, it doesn't come up a lot in, in this series, but then it does come up a lot in, I think, starting in Zeta, maybe, maybe double Zeta, uh, to the point where once it does become much more of a major thing in a later show like that, I remember thinking, like, oh, right, that is a thing because it just doesn't come up very, very often. Or at least, like, in, I think, like I said, I think in Zeta, they make much more of a big deal about, like, what are you doing? Don't don't stab your beam saber there. You're going to blow this side up and, and stuff like that. Happening. You'd think they would send in, like, like gun or a, a mobile suit, like, suicide bombers almost. Like, <laughs> just, like, like you know, oh, the Manofsky particle's not working. All right, send this, like, Zaku engine in there with, like, a little firework strap to it. It'll blow up <laughs> the side of the side. I mean, I th thought the implication was that the mobile suits were, like, not as easy to make as, yeah, like a, yeah. say, a World War II Zero or something, so it's not really an effective strategy. Yeah, true. Yeah, we get we get more of that later in this movie about you know, making mobile suits. Mm -hmm. um, but that was definitely a high point of this movie. I took a second to pause after and realize, like, what the fuck? That's only the first 45 minutes of this movie. <laughs> 
Um, there's just so much in so little time. Because that's easily like six episodes, seven episodes, something like that. Um, I guess like a lot of that is cut stuff. But it's like, man, they really did just condense a whole lot of anime into not a lot of time. But it fucking My weird. favorite part from that section was definitely the, the bar scene. I'm not the biggest action girl, so that one definitely did it more for me than some of the action scenes. Sure. I like that scene a lot, too, and especially because it's like that action scene wouldn't have worked as well if it didn't have the bar scene before it. Um, yeah, that's fair. It's set up and payoff. Um, but I do like that anytime, anytime you can get two enemy pilots in a room together and just have them like talk and be tense. Oh, that shit rules. Um, not there's we do get a moment at the end of the show, but uh, there's not enough moments where we just get like Amaro and uh, Char in the same room together, which is a shame. Uh, I live for that stuff. Um, this is also the point where I started to think like, and I definitely brought this up the last time, but it's so. Uh, frustrating how people like to talk about mecha anime that came after gundam as being the first to like deal with a lot of themes and be subversive in certain ways that it's like you know like gundam was already kind of doing this right because like mecha anime at the time was not doing the stuff that gundam is doing where it's like hey you've got a really complicated main character where he is literally tying his sense of self-worth into his ability to pilot the gundam and like actually like treating that as like emotional baggage and something that like hinders the main character's growth um which i guess the most direct way we see that is the way in which he's like latching onto all the older women in his life and completely ignoring frau Bo, like the one like one person but one girl his age that's like genuinely cares for him and his well-being um you know people like to talk about those kinds of things with like evangelion it's like hey you know gundam was out here years before doing anime, a lot of anime nerds stuff. online should stop using the word deconstruction forever thank you yes. yeah because like i feel like a lot of that is just because like it's like oh yeah if you talk about evangelion you have to talk about how it's a deconstruction and it's like just uh <laughs> well and they you know uh, part of this is that that the genre wasn't i guess wasn't as well defined back then but i assume gundam didn't market itself as like oh we're gonna you know show you the horrors of war through cool mech robot action like they weren't saying you know we're obviously they're not deconstruction because they were one of the founding things but like you don't need to market your your media as like a subversion of previous media current current mech anime well it's more so like the mecha anime that would have existed before gundam especially like um other mecha where like there's actually like a pilot for the mech were very black and white and like oh the super special boy has to get the the powerful robot that only he can pilot and defeat the very obvious uh space enemy so that humanity can live and prosper like very like uncomplicated concrete terms who's good who's bad like the you know the it is an unquestionable good that the teenage boy get in the robot and shoot the aliens apart whereas Gundam is much more like okay but hey wouldn't he have a lot of emotional baggage yeah, for doing yeah. that? <laughs> so it's like Gundam was already doing or Gundam it's not even that like Evangelion and shows like that are doing the same thing Gundam is doing it's like the thing that people claim that Ava's doing which it isn't is was Gundam did before it which is like be the first Gundam anime to actually interrogate like hey what kind of emotional baggage would you develop if you're a 15 year old boy piloting a giant war machine um you know so it's just it's incredibly frustrating that 
uh, for a lot of people, this show goes overlooked despite how like formative it is. And I guess it's probably more of a complaint about like English speaking fandom uh, than anything else. Um, and it's definitely waned a bit. Although like the resurgence of that discords or discourse when Ava got added to Netflix was kind of proof that it hadn't gone away completely. Uh, but this was the point in the movie where I was like, yeah, fuck that yeah. shit. Gundam was out here doing it in 1979. And it rules. Um, except for Amaro. It sucks to be Amaro. Um, um, I also thought at this point, there's a lot of interesting parallels um, between the Gallop, which is Ron Baral's ship, and the White Base. Um, because there's a scene where like, uh, Ron Baral and Haman, after losing the goof, are like, yeah, we need more, um, we need more resources where we've got like one mobile suit left and that's about it. Um, and someone from General Makave's office, who's kind of like the Xeon general, uh, in charge of the, like part of the earth that they're, they're traveling through right now is like, Ooh, you know what? We've got this big operation, operation Odessa that's about to hit. And Oh, would you look at that? We don't have any Zaku to spare. Ooh, you gotta, you gotta deal with the one you've got. Uh, best of luck out there. Um, but don't forget to get the job done. You still have a job to do. Um, and so I thought it was very similar to the thing we've been getting um, a bunch throughout the movie uh, up to this point and continue to get of like the Federation elites kind of being like, oh no, the, the white base has to keep doing its mission. Like we're, we're basically testing out whether they're all new types or not. So, you know, we're, we're purposely just going to like not give them support and put them into harm's way a bunch because how else will we know if these 15-year-olds are new types or not? <laughs> if they die, then we know they're not new types. And if they live to make it to Jabiro, then mission accomplished. Hell yeah. Um, so I just thought it was interesting yeah. how that, those two things parallel between uh, the White Base and, and the Gallop, where it's like both of them are being completely like undermined and just like thrown to the wayside by their um, superiors, but also are out there being like, but you better get the job done. Yeah, I'm getting the impression that the uh, superiors on both sides are treating like new types it's like sort of like a eugenics-y super soldier type thing it's like ah fuck their mental state if we just you know try to make as many new types as possible then we'll be better at war and it's i don't know i don't really know where i'm going with that i just got like a very big eugenics eugenics e vibe from all the commanders mm -hmm. talking about new types and the testing and well, everything. once they start talking about superior intuition and all that being a genetic thing essentially it's like, oh, oh. Yeah, and like, we'll definitely get, like, I definitely don't think the eugenics comparison is unfounded, and we get a bit more of uh, those kinds of implications in the next movie that I won't spoil. Um, but yeah, I think you're kind of on the money there. Um, I think, again, to go back to the fact that they don't talk about the new type stuff as much in the show, and that stuff's added into the movie, um, I don't think it's until they make it to Jabiro where someone says, like, oh yeah, we were purposely, like, giving you vague orders and scarcely resupplying you guys and fixing up your ship because we wanted to see if you were really new types or not. Um, I don't think that's made as explicitly clear to the white brace base crew in the show. Um, and again, I think that just works better in the, the case of it being a movie. Um, I think the big thing is like, because they thought they had more runway with the show than they ended up having that the plan was to like introduce the new type stuff around Jabiro and then slowly dole out that stuff but in the show it just kind of comes at you real fast because it's like shit we only got 43 episodes now we gotta uh gotta throw it all in there um so it's nice that they had the opportunity with the movies to kind of add that stuff in a bit early um but yeah incredibly fucked up I think mm, I'll come up in job when we get to Jabiro but another thing that I have another problem I have with the movies is not that the Federation looks great because they're still 
you know, being really shitty about the white base's role and everything and like being okay with like having children want a warship because, oh, they might be genetically superior super soldiers. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that's like either cut or changed that makes the Federation look better than they do in the, um, uh, in the show that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Cause in the show it, it becomes increasingly clear, like, well, I guess at the end it becomes clear that Zeon really is the bad guys and we got to stop them no matter what. But for large parts of the show, it's like, Hey, both of these sides suck. <laughs> like it probably wouldn't be much better for Amuro if he was a Zeon soldier than being like a Federation. It's not like, you know, he's on the right side in, in this case. Uh, although again, that gets complicated later. They make Zeon out to be an obvious bad guy at a certain point. Uh, but that stuff rubs me the wrong way. I mean, at least I'm probably bringing my own politics into this, but I got the impression that this was just a Imperial pissing war that everyone got caught up in versus like a good guys versus bad guys. Well, it's like a, a yeah, independence I, war, that's, right? That, right. The, the Zeon are, are quote-unquote fighting for, for independence. Um, we'll get a lot more of the politics behind that, and I still don't think it's like the Federation or the good guys by the end, but it becomes very clear like, oh, Zeon are the bad guys. Um, One of them has fascist imagery and the other exactly. doesn't. Yeah. The way I always sell the show, which this is part of why I'm like, uh, this pitch doesn't work as well for the movies because of some of the changes. Like the fact that, like I said, the whole thing on Lunar 2 in the first movie is like a conflict of the Federation being like a stopgap for the white base to like do the thing they want to do. Um, and that just doesn't happen in the movies. Stuff like that happens in this one too, where it's just like it cuts out and it's like, eh, it doesn't make the Federation look good, but it doesn't have that moment where you're like, yeah, fuck the Federation. Um, but the pitch I always give on the show is like, it is like uh, the rise of neo fascism versus like incompetent neoliberal governments, right? Like, it's like those are the two sides. Like, who do you choose between like the incompetence of neoliberalism or the encroachment of fascism? It's like, mm. wow, sounds familiar yeah, to the modern day political mm-hmm. climate. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you can imagine me watching Gundam uh, in the lead up to the 2020 election was uh, interesting uh, last year. Um, but yeah, all that stuff is you know, kind of foregrounded here and we get more of that later and definitely in the next movie. Um, okay. Now <laughs> we're at, uh, the introduction of some of my favorite mobile suits in 0079 Gundam. If not for the name alone, uh, this is where we first see the doms. No, <laughs> no response. Did you want me to on the podcast? <laughs> is, is that what you really wanted? I don't know. I just thought someone else would be, Wow incredible that they just called them dom sorry I, I had the ball <laughs> gag in my mouth uh-huh. but yeah i think they're very cool they like hover around um we'll see them out in space but when they're on earth they just kind of like they they like beyblade or not beyblade they wheelies over, <laughs> over, over. <laughs> if, if only they spun around like they um but i like i like them a lot they're cool uh they've got cool names um some of that stuff is cut out they're called like the the oh god because it's it's so good they're, they're called the like black tri-star doms or whatever like the three the dom squad that's their squad name is the black tri-star doms uh it's just rules um uh, but we see them here uh briefly i think and then amuro actually fights them later um and then we get one last assault from ramba raw where uh with only one zaku and his men and some kind of you know like uh smaller um infantry vehicles they basically launch a counterattack on the white base where they distract the white base with the one Zaku they have out front and then come in from behind on these like kind of like uh, 
I don't know what you'd call them, but they're like vehicles that they could very easily like launch off of with jetpacks and they board the white base. And then uh, it's like a fight aboard the white base. Uh, and they're, the white base is just getting fucked. Like all these child, child soldiers are dying um, because uh-huh. turns out like they haven't had any real combat. And so new type or not, like if you've never fired a gun before and you're up against people that have very much fire, fired guns before, like you're just going to die. So a lot of people die. Uh, this is where there's that scene of like Amro struggling with the Zeon soldier and just bright comes out of nowhere and shoots him. <laughs> and it's like, Amro, you're useless here. Get in the gun. <laughs> Come on, man. Also, yay, more PTSD for Amaro. <laughs> Seeing yep. a guy just get fucking killed right in front of him. Yeah. Um, and then this is where we get the scene that I talked about where Ron Baral sees Sela and recognizes her as Lady Artasia from uh, Old Zeon. It's like, don't you know I'm Ron Baral, the son of Jim Baral? <laughs> Which... <laughs> Jim, Jab, Jim. <laughs> gotta love these. Gotta love these fucking Gundam names. <laughs> I'm Ramba, son of Jimba. Uh, and then, you know, they talk and. Um, uh, he gets he basically gets distracted and then ends up getting shot as a consequence of it. Uh, and as he's like radioing Haman like on death's door, basically like we- we've lost this fight. Uh, he says in the middle of a fight, Ramba Raw forgot to fight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> words to die by. Um, and then he like they've taken the bridge and so he's out on the bridge, realizes he's gonna die pulls a grenade on himself and jumps into the hand of the Gundam, it blows up in Amuro's hand. Um, which, like a lot of the deaths, I feel like is given way more weight and gravity in um, the uh, the TV show than it is. If only just because of the way it's all edited in the movie. Um, but it is kind of fucked up that Amuro sees him die after he, like, you know, like, he clearly has respect for Amuro after that, that bar scene and respects him as, like, a pilot even if he wants revenge on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like a, there's like a shot immediately after where uh, Amro's like firing at the gallop um, as it's charging towards them, and uh, he's still got like his hand out with like and it's still on fire, so presumably like the charred remains of Amro's just smoldering in his hand while he's yeah while he's firing the beam saber or beam beam rifle at the uh, at the gallop. Um, so Rip Rambaral, the remaining uh, members of his crew, kind of evacuate onto the gallop and they escape. I think at this point, this is where we realize, or where we see the gallop's got like a detachable uh, or ejectable bridge. Mm-hmm. It's like the entire bridge of the ship just like ejects out of the <laughs> side and they make their escape. Uh, and Amaro blows up the rest of the gallop. Um, and then, yeah, this is, um, or hold on. Uh, yeah, so then this is where the Dom fight happens after this. And if I'm like, if it sounds like I'm just like going from one thing to the other, this is the movie, right? Yeah, it's like very scattershot. All right, Rambaral's dead and the gallop is, is, is gone and they've ejected out. All right, time to fight the Doms. Yeah, it's, it's well, it's scattershot, uh, but it's it's also not like um, confusingly so, I guess. Like there are some parts that we've talked about already where it's like, oh, I was a little unclear on, on this thing. But like overall, everything's like, there's a flow. You know, in the same way that like, you know, you can imagine in real life, uh, you know, a squad of soldiers maybe get into one fight and it's not like, okay, we, we finished this fight. Now let's have a month off. Like, you know, sometimes when it rains, it pours kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like, it's like mostly coherent. Yeah. It's just, again, like, you know, that episode would have ended with the gallop blown up and uh, Amro reacting to Romperol being dead. And then you would hear Amaro. 
And then you'd go into the next episode and then it would be like, aha, the white base is now stationed in a forest and it's night and they're getting repairs from uh, Lady Matilda's supply squad. No, no, the TriStar Doms are attacking. <laughs> uh, they're being domed. Uh, the power um, tops come this in. This is the scene. Yeah. And so then this is the scene where you see Ryu, like they're getting attacked by the Doms while Matilda's resupply crew are trying to like fix the... Uh, engines on the white base and like give them repairs um and also so this is another interesting thing she drops off um because earlier she gets orders from general revel to do this to drop off what does she call it because it's different in the show she calls it like the core booster Mm. which is basically like this like booster pack that goes on the back of the core fighter jets uh that makes them fly faster in the show it's called um the g armor i think and what it is is it like um uh it's like a like an add-on that gets combined with the uh gundam uh it like gives the gundam like extra parts um it so the thing is is like it almost uh uh reads like you know when you watch a transformers and they introduce like a new thing like mini cons or whatever and it's like oh i know why you're introducing that it's to sell toys um (laughs) And I don't know because of like the the strange nature of the, the the toy line for the original show if that ever actually got made as toys if that was like a decision to be like yeah we're gonna throw this in there so we could sell a toy of it or if it was just like someone thought oh wouldn't it be cool if we uh, had this thing that could give the Gundam like an extra shield and all this other stuff but they basically were like cut out all the G armor stuff in the movie and replace it with just the core booster uh, that like Sayla flies around in um, in this one because she can't pilot the Gundam but they're gonna let her pilot the core booster instead um and uh um so yeah this is the episode where i was getting to was this is the episode where or not the episode this is the part of the movie where it's like wait did they cut out rue getting injured because they're being attacked by the doms and he sees it on his like monitor next to his his bed and it's like ah this this body of mine i've gotta i've gotta get out there and help them Uh, and he can't um i was like when did he get injured (laughs) really didn't give enough time to that if Mm -hmm. it did happen um but the production on the Dom fight is fucking incredible. It's really good. Um, this is where the, the show starts to get real psychedelic for me, um, where there'll be all these these cuts of, like, like Amuro, like, jumping to, like, attack one of the Doms, and the background will kind of fade out from, like, the forest they're fighting in and get all, like, trippy and psychedelic and be, like, this, like, multicolored kind of collage behind him. Um, they do that as well a couple times, I think, of this movie. When people die, it'll, like, cut to mm-hmm. that. Um, definitely a, a movie that, or a, a series that was made at the end of the 70s um we get more of that psychedelic stuff later in the next movie so look out for that um and then this is where at up to this point i was like okay it's a little bit disjointed how all this is edited together but it actually rules how quick the pace is and then so this is two episodes i think that they edit together there's like two times when they fight the doms and one of them is like ah they're overpowered by the doms and then the next one is like oh matilda comes in to help repair them and give them the G armor, and now with the G armor, they stand a chance against the Doms. So they edit those two episodes together, and which has already uh, kind of made it a little bit weird for me. Um, and then, so Matilda dies here, right? Yeah. She like saves him from the Doms, but they don't actually like like Amro's like, was that Matilda? And there's never a moment uh, up until later where it's like, oh, that was definitely Matilda. She's definitely dead, Amro. Mm-hmm. Um, which is weird because in the show, it's very clear that she sacrifices herself to save Amaro and to save the white base. And they give her like a proper funeral and everything. 
And later in the movie, when they're like, uh, spoilers, Ryu dies uh, not long after this, uh, and when they're giving Ryu's funeral in the movie, there's like this internal voice of Amuro screaming like, Matilda-san. <laughs> uh, but in the show, they give an actual funeral for Matilda, and he doesn't just think that he screams that out during her funeral. Huh. Like, Matilda-san. That's a weird change. Uh, yeah. And they go through the the effort of doing that scene earlier when they all take the photo with Matilda together and Amuro's like in love with this photo, but then they never really show it until like when she's dead and Amuro's like thinking back on it, uh, which again is just weird. Um, but yeah, a lot of weird weird changes like that. Again, for the most part, it's still like uh, readable and, and executed um, well enough, but still kind of weird. But that's what you got to ha- have to do when you... Um, <laughs> edit together 15 episodes into two hours they uh, just didn't want to have the the to s- translate uh matilda succumb to the doms it was just too much too spicy that's true okay uh, that makes sense that it's a lot of like editing decisions because i was not a fan of the amuro gets all nervous or out matilda things in the, in the film in general it's like uh straight people well, those set up in the last movie right yeah, the first time he meets her, he's like, ooh, pretty lady. He's like, oh, she's an officer and a girl? Um, yeah, I mean, like, all that stuff is, is in the show, too. It just, I think it plays a lot better in the show than it ended up in the in the movie. Yeah, Amaro's just perpetual. And again, yeah, like, probably would be better with more time to, like, actually breathe. Yeah. <laughs> and same thing with, like, the deaths. Like, a lot of these deaths, like Ryu's death and Romberwall's death and Matilda's death, all feel more impactful in the show because there's like a whole episode built around it so you get like the full like setup of the a plot like you know like a full episode happens at leading up to that moment whereas this is just left and right <laughs> sequences are happening it's like oh time for this character to die time for this character to die yeah because in the at least i mean in the first movie um amaro never really had like a scene one-on-one with matilda i don't think he gets one I think they cut back to it uh, in this the movie. They're in the elevator together. And I was like, oh shit, this is what Evangelion had the elevator <laughs> scene in response to. I was thinking of um, where in the first movie she's like, oh, maybe you're a new type, like at the very end, but like Bright's there too. And then yeah. earlier in the movie, I think they're all talking, but it's very like business only kind of thing. Um, yeah. There's another scene kind of like that in the uh, first okay, movie yeah. where the two of them are just talking and it's a lot of like, like, oh, I could show you around here if you want to or whatever. I think that's all it's ever meant to be, right? It's never meant to be like, oh, they do get a heart-to-heart. He's clearly just infatuated with, like, the idea of her, like, not her as an actual Yeah, person. I think that's that's more my um, point. It's like, you know, in this context, like, it's not like, oh, you know, Matilda, like, my one love that, like, I finally, uh, my one respite from the horrors of war, I loved her so much. It's just like, oh, my, my cute, yeah. uh, like, pretend GF, no. Yeah, uh, by uh, Haley Williams Federation officer. Um, <laughs> and like, you know, we all saw how the last movie ended. Like, Amaro's clearly got some issues with the women in his life, so it kind of makes sense that he's weirdly infatuated with the older women he meets uh, in this movie with Matilda and, and Haman. Um, and then, yeah, I guess, you know, after Matilda dies, uh, there's... Um, kind of a sequence that again just kind of comes out of nowhere and then happens and then it's on to the next thing but where Haman is kind of retaliating with the remainder of Rambaral's troops and you know their plan is to basically like charge what's left of the gallop I think or maybe it's another ship or something um 
that charge a ship into the white base that's full of explosives and uh, Haman's got like the opportunity to shoot Amuro point blank in the back and it's like oh it doesn't even matter how armored the Gundam is like this point blank I'll get him and this is when like Ryu has like gotten out of bed despite still being injured gets into the core fighter and then rams himself in the core fighter into Haman's ship to save Amuro and kills himself in the process um and so rip Ryu and it's a you know like I said the deaths all play better in the show, but it's a nice moment when, like, uh, or not nice, but it's an interesting moment when you know, Amuro is, like, having trouble coming to terms with Ryu dying, and he's trying to blame it on Hayato, and then him and Hayato, like, are fighting, and then um, I think it's Frau Bo gets a line that's like, like, stop fighting, it's all pointless anyway, like, you can't bring back the dead, you know, you, like, he's dead, you know, no matter what you, you do or say about it, we just gotta move on. Um, uh, and then, yeah, they have a, a funeral for Ryu, and this is also when Amuro comes to turn. So the implication in the movie, again, because it's way less ambiguous in the show, but the implication in the movie is that they then fly over the remains of Matilda's ship, and that's when they're like, oh, that really was Matilda. She really is dead, um, uh, which is just such an awkward way to do it um, compared to how it's done in the show. Like That didn't seem like a necessary evil they had to do. It just seemed like, no, you should have edited that different. <laughs> it just should have been. Um, this is also when they're like, this is the thing that fucking blew my mind. Uh, I'll, I can finally get back to the Antarctic Treaty stuff. Because the whole time all of this is happening, Operation Odessa is just happening in the background. I guess they kind of imply that the fight with Hamon is happening at the same time that the white base is kind of executing their part of Operation Odessa. But it's not how it is in the show. Uh, there is the scene where they're like, okay, the white base's assignment is to like be the only ship supporting like the right front or whatever. Um, and I guess the movie is implying this is where they run into um, uh, Lady Hammond and the rest of Robin Rawls' forces. But again, I don't think that's how that happens in the show. I think they just run into Zeon forces and have to fight it out. And so the shots are in the movie, right? So I don't know if, if this connected for y'all since you hadn't seen the show before, but there are these shots of like, like Makave flies off in his cruiser or whatever. Um, uh, and you see in the background, like what looks like, like a mushroom cloud from an atomic bomb going off. And they don't show it in the movie, but that's definitely what happened. A nuke definitely goes off during Operation Odessa. And it's like a big deal because part of the Antarctic Treaty, and this comes up in the show, is that like, they ban nuclear warheads, right? It's like, you know, um, mobile suits with their nuclear reactors, totally fine, A-OK, but actual, like, nuclear warheads attached to missiles, no siree. Um, and I think it's actually the Federation that launches the nuke, which, again, is why, like, uh, it's been long enough since I've seen it that I might be wrong about that, but to me, this is also one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's kind of fucked up that they paint the Federation in a much better light in the show because i think in this one it's like whatever general uh it might be general revel but it might be i think it might be someone else is like oh the only way we're gonna win this fight is if we launch this nuke or if we let this nuke go off um and they're trying to win operation odessa again this is half explained in the movie but they're trying to destroy this mining facility that makave is defending because this is where they are sourcing the vast majority of the raw material Xeon needs to make like mobile suits and uh like more warships and stuff um and so the Makave gets that line that's like oh little do they know that it actually doesn't matter that they blew this up because we just sent out a shipment that's going to keep Xeon fighting for another 10 years um it's kind of like the the cold stinger on that and so the show it's meant to be like oh you know this nuke went off and all of that 
and yet this conflict is still like never going to end. Turns um, out uh, the nuke worked just as well as it did Independence Day. Send tweet. <laughs> <laughs> just waiting, like the pause. <laughs> you were obviously waiting for some one of us to respond. Was like, I, oh, I wanted God, uh, God, to hear uh, people. Uh, said tweet. I I I planned this the entire disconnect time. from the the Discord call. I wanted everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, I it's kind of frustrating how the Operation Odessa stuff is. It's like ultimately not. I guess they left in all the key stuff, but it's just like and you know unless you're going to remake parts of the show which they clearly weren't going to do um, had to get left in to some degree um but i was just kind of uh thrown off it's like when i realized in the first movie like oh they're just going to cut out the whole lunar 2 part where they like have a conflict with other federation troops it's like oh we're just going to cut out the part where a fucking nuclear bomb goes off okay <laughs> uh, especially cuz like it's a kind of an interesting moment in like the timeline because in later Gundam uh, shows and movies, like, nukes do get launched, right? And it's like, uh, oh, Operation Odessa kind of set the precedent that, like, well, if one side isn't going to follow the Antarctic Treaty, then why should anyone care? Like, let's go at it with these nukes. Um, um, this is also the point when I realized, like, if I, if I had unlimited time and budget to turn the series into a set of movies, it would definitely be more than three and I think the entire first hour of this movie with Ramba Rawl would just be the entire, or like be an entire movie. Um, because I think like all that stuff works so well and it would work even better if it had more time to breathe. And you could definitely like, it's not that it's like, oh, it only works as a TV show and the movie only kind of half works. It's like, no, you could, you could make all that stuff with Ramba Rawl and Hammond and Ryu and Matilda dying, like all work really well if you like gave it more time to breathe and just let it be its own kind of narrative arc in the series of movies instead of just being basically like, act one and two of this movie and this is another point where i took a, a break uh, to eat and paused and saw oh shit there's an hour left <laughs> so much movie yeah. in this movie i took like an hour break at this point because i was like all right i <laughs> i can't watch this in a like a note taking um sense for in one setting one setting i just couldn't do it yeah it i, I really <sighs> I really feel like I probably would have gotten a lot more out of the series if I watched the original series versus the movie. Like, I know we had to watch the movie for the podcast or else we'd be stuck on this for, like, three months. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, no, it's just the structure of the compilation movie really sort of, like, dragged down my experience of watching it in general. Yeah. Because I couldn't, I... like, be like, all right, that's an episode. I can go do something else and watch another episode when I feel like watching more Gundam. Yeah, because it's, I like, a lot might... of it's edited like oh here's the last eight minutes of an episode cut to the last eight minutes of the next episode and there's just like no time to breathe in there because it's all like action and um and plot heavy stuff um yeah, yeah all the puzzle pieces are kind of there it's just like the connection is kind of loose yeah and it's like individual scenes still work really well it's just how you get to those scenes and how you leave those scenes is kind of awkward a lot of the time I think the the first movie definitely suffered from these problems, but because it was adapting so few, so much fewer episodes, I think it wasn't as bad. And I want to say movie three is probably going to be the strongest just because there is much more of a clear through line between all the stuff once they're like back out in space. But those are probably famous last words. I guess we'll see. It's also funny too, because I struggled with this for a little while before I decided to pick it because it's like, well, I really want to watch Gundam. But I don't want to watch the movie trilogy because everybody says, like, you know, 
if you're going to watch it for the first time, like don't watch the movie trilogy if you, if you can. Um, but you know, time constraints and all that. My original thought before I decided on the movies was, oh, we'll just watch the first half of the show and then we'll move on to Danielle's pick. And then either for my next pick or just a later pick, I would pick the remainder of the show. And the, the, I literally, I took the time to like skim through episodes and figure out like, okay, where would I pick like my halfway point? And the episode that ends with Ryu dying was going to be like my, uh, okay, this is a good place to end the show. It's about halfway through. I think that's like episode 21. Um, so that's almost literally halfway through the, the show. Um, and it's like right before Operation Odessa happens in the show, I think. Um, so uh, that would have been interesting um, had we done it that way. But this is how we did it. So I have to live with my choice. This is the bridge we have crossed. That's true. Um, but it was all worth it because next we get to the part of the movie where they're at like a seaport getting the white base repaired and we get to see the GOG, uh, which is another mobile <laughs> suit with an incredible name. Um, and we see it before we see the Zot or the Zagok, uh, but it's basically a big Zagok. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe. It's like mostly arms and legs and then has a very cylindrical torso that more or less just doesn't have a head. It's just the top of the cylinder is the head. <laughs> Um, where it the really made is. me think of like Jet Alone was the first thing that came to mind after mm. seeing it. It's a good comparison. Um, I really like them. They've both the Gog and the Zagok. They've got like claws. They don't have hands. They just have claws. <laughs> um, they're very good. Uh, Char's got a Zagok that is red, of course. Uh, that was the, that is the one I would recommend people look up if they want to see like, uh, hey, what does that look like? Look up Char's uh, Zagok. It's very cool. Um, they're like marine, like amphibian um, mobile suits. Uh, and so like, you know, the white base is docked at the seaport. So they're being attacked from the water by these uh, marine or uh, amphibian uh, mobile suits. Um, but before that, there's a couple scenes at this military base they're at that are interesting. Um, this is, um, it's played a bit different in the movie because uh, this is like the opportunity for General Revel to tell all of the white base crew, hey, we think you're new types, which doesn't happen in the show. Um, but it's basically like, in the show, it's like General Revel is like, you know, hey, up until now, like, y'all were just fighting because this is the situation you were in. Um, but now that we're at, like, now that Operation Odessa is a success, so we have a moment to rest, we're going to, like, formally say, like, hey, if you want to keep on and keep being soldiers, you can stay. If you want to go, you can go. And this is when Kaya's like, no, I'm going to leave. Um, uh, but that's not how it happens in the movie. In the movie, General Revel sits them all down. It's like, oh, we think you might be new types. That he basically explains what a new type is. Um, and says, so like, you're, you're our new type experiment. Isn't that lovely and not horrifying at all? Um, and this is when, in the movie, it's like Kai gets mad at that. That like, oh, we're just guinea pigs. And, and then he decides to leave. Um, and there's like a subplot where he meets uh, a Zeon spy, Miharu, um, uh, and they've kind of got a thing where, you know, they develop feelings for each other, but it's complicated because she's a spy and he's kind of left, but is at some point kind of left unsure of like, oh, maybe I should go back and help fight for them. I care about the crew and uh, that kind of stuff. Um, Char is back, by the way. As I said, Finally. he's got a Zagok. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just as dashing as ever he rules <laughs> it was like a really cool moment where he's in i think they call it a sea lance or something he's in like a like a water skimming ship or whatever <laughs> and he does this maneuver where he like side hops out of the water onto like their big submarine 
uh, ship that they're in. <laughs> and one of the, the Zeon soldiers under his command is like, damn, that's our captain. <laughs> <laughs> Even the writer's like, yeah, we did good on this one. Like, yeah, he, he is fucking cool. Um, uh, and then, yeah, there's, you know, there's like a fight. Kai ends up back on the ship. Maharu um, uh, is like tasked to infiltrate the white base. So she's on board for kind of the next bit. Um, I remember liking these episodes a whole lot in the show but again they just kind of suffer from like the movie's gotta like speed through them really quickly so there's not a lot of time to breathe Um, yeah like in i'm not sure if this is the same way in the show but in the movie because of the pace it really felt like miharo existed solely for kai's character development it's kind of like that in the show like the kind of arc they go through is mostly the same you just kind of get more moments with them where it's like uh, or just a bit more time for them to uh, like breathe as characters where you kind of like start to understand the attachment they develop for one another. Um, but yeah, it definitely does seem like, oh, we invented a female character so she could die so that <laughs> a man could feel sad about it. And we call that character development. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's the impression I got from the movie. I was like, yeah. it was interesting. And with the whole her being a spy, doing what she can to uh, support her younger siblings. But as she dies and like just for Kai's character development, it's like, oh, okay, that was that you were having you're gonna get something going here, but nope. You know. Yeah, I'll defend a lot of Gundam bullshit, but they definitely um uh, don't ever really do right by their uh women characters. So uh rip to Maharu. Um she does die in a really affecting way. Uh I guess so like, you know, once she's aboard the ship. Uh, The next kind of bit of the movie is, again, this would be like a standalone episode, but it's like, uh, oh, like a ship of who a bunch of guys who are claiming to be from like a fishing union or something like that um, uh, are claiming that their ship needs repairs. And while they're aboard, they like communicate with Maharu through short term radio to find out where the white base is going. She tells them they're going to Jaburo. Um, Then they leave. And then uh, Char's uh, forces they have got a fun fun oh the mad angler is the name of like their like squad um they uh they then retaliate against the white base um now that they know it's going to jabbero um and i forget his name the guy that in um infiltrates the ship to communicate with maharu then gets in a mobile armor called the the grab row <laughs> which is just like a it's like a ship with like the face of a of a zagok or a, a gog and then they don't show it much in the movie but it's got like grabby arms like it's got arms that shoot out that look like the the gog arms and grab things that's why it's called a grab it's like this the sticky handed um, thing where you, you can like uh yeah you know, like it's like a piece of rubber and like you you sling it mm-hmm. out and it slaps onto something uh kind of thing yeah when you were when you were saying like oh it looks like a sock but it's kind of a gog i was like what <laughs> i completely <laughs> forgot we were talking about gundam i was like my brain just fucking yeah. transcended. Totally normal names. You know, the Grabro looks like a Zagok mixed with a Gog. <laughs> it's not to understand. The Zibzu and the Zabadi. I'm, I'm Ramba Rawl, son of Jimba Rawl. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, and then, yeah, so, so Kai is out on, like, a ship dropping missiles, and, like, the lever in the cockpit of the ship to drop the last set of missiles isn't working. So Maharu, who's on board with him, is like, oh, I'll, you know, redeem myself and go out there and launch these missiles manually or whatever. She gets flung out of the ship and the missiles do drop. And so Kai is like, hey, you did it, Maharu. Maharu? <laughs> oh, I'm sure she's fine. And then he gets back aboard the ship to realize that she, she died out there. Um, 
And like it is like sad and affecting, but it does just kind of suck that that is her character. <laughs> she was born to die. Um, and then um, at this point, we're on to to Jabbero, which is kind of the last bit of the movie uh, after it's gone a million fucking miles. <laughs> <hour>. <laughs> um, okay, um, we're at Jabbero finally. I think because like when they first land on the Earth. They're initially like, oh, make it to Jabbero. And then it's like, oh, change of plans. Yeah, well, even when they come in, they're in Xeon space. They're, they're in New York. So we make it to Jabbero. It's in, like, the rainforest. Um, so, in, like, South Southern America. Um, and uh, I think the first person we meet once we're in there... So ja- well, first off, Jabbero is, like, an underground base in the rainforest, which I guess is kind of cool. So, like, they, they get there like a kind of like tile of lands slides out to reveal like, you know, an entranceway into this underground bunker. Um, uh, they call it like a Federation spaceport, but the implication um, in either the series or just other Gundam media is that like, it's basically like the foremost like headquarters of the Federation on earth um, for mid- military operation. Um, I'm not sure if that comes up specifically in, first Gundam or if that's something that gets thrown into other Gundams when they mention Jamuro. Um But we're here and the first person we meet is uh, Lieutenant Woody. <laughs> uh, another great name who is uh, Matilda's uh, would-be husband had she not died. Uh, Amuro gets a scene with him at some point where he's like, it's all my fault. I'm the one that killed Matilda uh, or I wouldn't, she wouldn't have died if she hadn't been there defending me or whatever. And Woody's just like, stop being so full of yourself. Yeah, she died, but it's not your fault. You're fine. Um, and uh, there's a couple like scenes that happen while they're in Jamuro. Uh The crew is getting tested, and it's very clear to them that they're getting tested for their new type abilities. That's not as clear in the show, as I mentioned before, but it's how it is in the movie. Um, uh, there's like mention that like it took Amuro, like twice as long to test as everybody, so they're, they're clearly the most interested in him being the Gundam pilot. Um, there's also some discussion of... which. And talk about them earlier, and they were barely in the first movie, but the three kids that run around the white base, uh, Kika, Let's, and Kets, Cats, Cats, Cats and Let's, uh, which they're, they're much more of a part of the TV show. I think they had to be included in this movie more than the first one because they there's a much bigger deal made about them in this movie, and I think they do some stuff in movie three that it's like, oh, we couldn't cut that out. <laughs> um, uh so they're there and there's a whole thing with it's like, oh, we're going to leave them at Jabiro because they've got like child care facilities. And their teeth are all um, fucked up. And so right? like a dentist part. Well, one of them, one of them doesn't have cavities, but I think the dentist is like trying to get uh, them right, yeah, and they're yeah. like running away from them. At some point they run away um, and get kind of involved with like a major plot of Xeon soldiers, including Char having snuck it into Jabiro, um to get like Intel or whatever. And they stumble upon the fact that, uh, the Federation has developed a new type of mobile suit um, for mass production uh, that they have here at Jabiro. Um And so their plan is to like blow them all up and the three kids are there to kind of take all the bombs off and drive them away. And then Amuro and Kai find them and they're like, what the fuck? Where'd you get all these bombs? And Amuro's got to go off and deal with them uh, with the bombs before they explode, which I think that gets cut. I, there's a whole scene in the show of like Amuro barely escaping uh, with the bombs. He has to like drive off of a cliff with the, bombs in the back of the truck and he has to jump out of the truck before it goes off the cliff none of that is in the movie um uh but um the the mobile suits they don't i don't think they give them the name in this but they definitely have names they're called uh 
So you would call them GMs if you just read it on the paper. Colloquially, they're called uh, gems, like you would say, like the name Jim, because uh, GM Jim. Um, but they're like the kind of, at this point going forward, they're like the mass production type mobile suit that the Federation has. Uh, so kind of like the, the Zaku, but for the Federation. Since before this, it's implied that they don't have. That's why Zeon is beating them so thoroughly, is like Zeon's got all these mobile suits and the Federation is like way behind. And like the Gundam is like the big Hail Mary along with the gun tank and the, the gun cannon. Um, but that it's at some point since this conflict started at the beginning of the show, Federation has figured it out and built all these gems, um, which we'll see in the next movie a lot once they're out in space again. Um, so I have a question. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing the, uh, the children, they're a lot more present in the actual show versus the movie. Yeah, for sure. Because, like, them having their big heroic moment felt like it sort of just came out of left field only watching the compilation movies. Yeah. They are there pretty much from the beginning um, in the show. Yeah. Like, if you'll remember. You see them around once or twice in the movie, but, like, they don't don't really do anything. And it was one of those things that made me realize, yep, this is definitely a compilation movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, uh like at the beginning of the show uh which this this does make it into the movie like the white base is like split between child soldiers and uh elderly refugees um the movies cut the episode where they let the refugees off at like a town uh and then at that point the ship just becomes entirely like child soldiers except for the three kids who because they don't have like any parents or anybody left are just kind of like left on the white base as like their adopted family and that's why at the end of this movie when they're like no we don't want to stay a job or we're going to go on the white base and the white base crew kind of defending them being like like yeah they they've been with us through everything we've been through they can you know handle more or whatever um that is meant to be like a you know like a yeah they're part of this family like they don't have anyone else other than us it'd be cool to leave them here um debatable whether that's true or not still seems kind of <laughs> fucked up to take yeah, three, not just to take three kids on your warship but to take them back out into space it felt like a really fucking hollow victory to me from just mm-hmm. watching the compilation movies because it's like oh yeah woo the kids get to go to war <laughs> good job yeah. everyone and it's like it's again it's better in the show because at least in the show you spent all this time with them to be like like, hey, we love those little scamps. We want to keep them around for the rest of the show. You know, like you as a viewer. But in the movie where they're barely in it, it's definitely like, no. <laughs> like, give these kids to someone who can take care of them. Uh, feed them three meals a day. Um, they cut out one of my favorite bits of these movies. I'm trying to see if I could find a screenshot from when I... Uh, oh, here it is. From when I watched these last year. Uh, they show off, like, the care that the kids would get if they stayed. And there's like a Lost in Space style robot butler. Um, uh, so it looks very like 60s sci fi ish. <laughs> uh, that's like taking care of them. And at one point, it like opens up a compartment in its chest and slides out a tray of like three cups of juice. And it says the line in like a robot voice like, juice, juice, delicious juice. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, just one of my favorite like throwaway bits uh, from the show. It's very, very funny. And they cut that out, which I. I knew going into it's like there's no way they they keep that in. It's could so you imagine if they had this? But if I were Tamino, I would be in that editing booth, being a fucking tyrant. Like, no, we're not cutting out the juice, juice, delicious juice scene. Are you kidding me? You're fired. <laughs> I'll, me I'll edit. edit this myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a bit sad. They like there's like so little of the comedic relief stuff because like 
the tone is just like very um i can't really say this definitively but i get the impression that the tone's much different in the movies than the than the show overall yeah yeah there's just a lot more you know like scenes of characters just talking with one another and you know like characters playing off of each other whereas this one it's just like it's gotta move the plot along so it doesn't take very many stops along the way um we do get one kind of scene like that i think it's a bit earlier in the film where like the uh like the three kids are trying to like take a bath or whatever and the faucets broke and they're like out in the hallway half naked and amuro is there and they're like amuro come fix this and amuro uh is like you know too shy seeing like uh mirai's bra hanging up uh in in the room and then sees that mirai's also in there like half undressed and uh She's like, oh, good, Amuro, you're here. Come come fix this faucet. And he's got to, like, bashfully, like, you know, like, avert his eyes and go in there and fix it. And it's all, like, playful stuff. But there's a couple other scenes like that um, that I think um, the folks over at Great Gundam Project described it really well, where it's, like, if those scenes were done in, like, 2000-era anime, it would be the most fan-service-y, unbearable bullshit. But in this, it's just, like, no, she's just naked, like, and he's embarrassed to see her. Like, it's fine. Like, it's not gross or leering or anything like that. It's just like, ah, ha, ha, prepubescent boy, and he's scared to see some boobies. Um, but it's not like, oh, you know, not, not like close-up shots on Mirai, you know, like leering or anything like that. Um, there's a couple other kind of moments like that that kind of play on that type of comedy that play a whole lot better in 1979 than they would in like 2019 or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's a shame that that stuff gets cut. Um, all the stuff with the kids and all that kind of levity that is in the show. The movies are a whole lot more dour tone wise than the show is not that the show doesn't get there it's just it's a lot more like balanced out i guess um and then yeah at some point like zeon forces attack and so there's kind of like an assault going on on the outside of jabro while uh char and the the men that he's um led into this infiltration are also attacking from the inside we get another scene of um char and uh Sayla. and at this point they both like fully realize who they're talking to and it's like aha lady artasia or artasia he doesn't call her lady artasia and she's like it really is you castfall uh and it's a really brief exchange she's basically just like i can't believe you would be fighting for zeon you know kind of hinting at their past and he's like join me <laughs> you know, that kind of thing good, um, good. Uh, and they kind of just leave it at that he kind of runs off uh, like mirai comes into the scene and he runs off after that and gets in his cool ass zagok and fights amuro and uh Amuro was like damn that char uh or damn he says damn you char uh as like char does the classic thing of like uh like runs away from Amuro before Amuro could beat him um uh which i thought was a fun fight scene there's a really cool shot he's uh char is fighting like a, a gym uh i think and he like does this really cool front kind of like almost like kung fu move where he like thrusts like a set of the zagok's claws straight into the torso of another gym and fucking destroys it uh it's very good. I'm the boss of this gym, Leather Man. Mm. <laughs> uh, definitely. Uh, if only... Oh, man. <laughs> no, I'll keep it to myself. Um, uh, at some point, Woody dies again. Uh, death was given way more weight in the show. Probably not a ton of weight compared to some of the other ones, but definitely much more weight than it is here in this one. It's just like... He... I think he sacrifices himself to take out some Zeon forces or something. I didn't really pay attention. I just wrote down Rip Woody and that was it. Uh, there's another scene. I think this is way back when uh, the the kids are like 
driving off with the bombs and they meet up with Amro and Kai. But this is another scene when gallant Char plays and Char isn't even in the fucking scene. So fucking mad. Like the rest of the sound editing and stuff they did for the movies is fine, but it's called gallant Char. You can't use it in a scene <laughs> like that. There's one thing. He has to be gallant, damn it. Yeah. There's a scene that's going to be in the next movie where not only like Gallant Char doesn't play, but Char gets his own like full-on intro- er, insert song. I think it's literally called uh, Here Comes Char, uh, and I swear to fucking God, if they don't play it, I'm going to riot. Um, <laughs> man. Uh, nothing like these movies to make me go like, yeah, maybe I should rewatch all 43 episodes of this show. <laughs> movies don't do just it just. Just look up every episode that has the, the songs in it. Just watch those uh, uh, episodes. Just Google uh, best Char episodes of Mobile Suit Gundam. I'm sure there's like a 45 minute video on YouTube about it or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, Char Osnable fan cam. Uh, and then uh, at some point in here, it's all kind of uh, tightly edited together. So I'm not actually sure where this happens. But at some point we get a new member aboard the white base. Uh, <laughs> another great Gundam name, uh, Slegger Law, um, who is the most like, I don't mean this like as an adjective. I mean, he literally looks like the guy from the meme, like the most Chad looking motherfucker <laughs> I've ever seen. Ba- uh, Bandit Keith was the first thing that came to my yes, mind after seeing him. <laughs> Bandit Keith with like 10 times the jawline. Um, and I just wrote in my and notes. And all the misogyny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just wrote in my notes, uh, the virgin uh, Noah Bright versus the Chad Slicker Law. Because <laughs> um, goddamn, it's just, he just has that energy. Uh, he'll be in the next movie, and yeah, he um, is just as misogynistic as you will expect him to be. Um, oh boy, I can't wait. Uh, yeah, he has like he has like a moment I think with Mirai where it's like, oh, they didn't tell me there'd be pretty ladies aboard this ship, and it's like, ah, oh, dude, shut the fuck up, just die already. Um, <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's that's basically it. There's the scene where they're like, and these children can stay aboard the warship. Yay. Yay. Um. And then we kick off the movie with what's basically a music video of the white base flying off into space while a song named after the subtitle of the movie, Soldiers of Sorrow, plays, which is the most, like, knock-off Bruce Springsteen song I've ever fucking heard, and it whips so hard. Uh, it's so And it, it, it doesn't match the tone at all. Like, at all. It is so, like, upbeat. And I guess, like, the lyrics are kind of like, oh, these poor soldiers of sorrow, they gotta keep on fighting or whatever. But it's like a fucking Bruce Springsteen song. It's got, like, a guitar solo and everything. Um, it is so fucking funny. And another thing where it's like, I didn't even need to look to know that Tomino wrote the lyrics for it, because of course he did. Um, it's just the most, like, oh, these soldiers of sorrow, the the men sure gotta keep fighting. And uh, there's there's some dumb stuff in the lyrics there about like and the women have to keep supporting the men <laughs> it's like tomino please but it's so funny and then it like you know like the bridge comes in and at the end it's like and one more time and they go back into the chorus again and i fucking lost <laughs> it I was in tears laughing it's so fucking funny uh so if nothing else look up the end of this movie and watch that scene uh it is my favorite addition to this that was not in the show um and I was just looking up during my our, our break we just took. Uh, the, you listeners didn't hear that. Uh, originally, it was in it was like an insert song that they changed to be the ending song for the film, which is wild. Because where does this song go? Like, what what scene do they play this over top of? Is it like? Uh, I hope it's after a death. 
I was gonna say is, is it while Romba Rawl is oh, no. dying, you just blast the Springsteen song? I would. Uh, I'm gonna have to figure that out. I couldn't find it out from the the Gundam uh, wiki page, but uh, I, I need to know. Um, uh, I'm sure there's a way to find out. Um, but then, yeah, that's the movie. I feel like um, we could do general thoughts, but I feel like we made it very clear that uh, from both people that have seen the show before and haven't seen it before that the compilation movies really kind of suffer from just having to cram so much into so little time i also feel like they really didn't have the budget to like like uh redo a scene to make it fit more which is weird into a condensed again format. considering how the first movie you know again was like the kind of this pivotal moment you would think that they'd be like oh shit like really lay into this kind of thing unless like the development was like concurrent maybe i don't know or production um yeah do you do y'all think that these could have been split into four movies yeah, I was trying to come up with a number. Could be like eleven episodes. Because three each. is definitely too few. Yeah, four would definitely. Like I said, all the stuff with Rambaralo could just be its yes. own movie. Um, and then probably the second half of this movie could also be its own movie. Um, hell, I even think that first movie, if you expanded stuff out and kept more in from the show that they cut out, you could probably turn uh the first part of that movie up until them getting to Earth as just one movie. And then the whole part of them on Earth and the stuff with Garma being its own movie and ending that that movie where that first movie ends with the the speech from uh, what's his fuck uh, Zabi and um, then like I said split this movie into two and then I think maybe of these three three movies the one that I guess we'll wait and see but the one that I could see being the most justified as just being its own movie is this third one that all the stuff that happens out in space to me feels like one succinct arc where I could I could very easily see it if they um you know edit it well. And like I said, I believe the third one is the one where they do make the most changes from what I understand. So maybe those are changes for the better. Maybe they cuz I do believe they add stuff into the third one. So maybe uh it's stuff that benefits instead of uh hinders. Um cuz I was trying to look at the years earlier. I think cuz you were asking about it Annie, the uh the first movie and the second movie both came out the same year. Presumably one was like earlier in the year, the other one was later, but they were both 81. And then Encounters in Space is 82. So I could imagine it being like one comes out and makes a ridiculous amount of money. And then two is too far into the pipeline that they just kind of have to like do it as originally planned, which was like not change a lot and mostly just edit stuff out from the show. But then maybe with three, because they'd had the success of the first one and a little more like uh, leadway on, on it, like production timeline wise that maybe they had a lot more room and budget to be like, oh, we can like reanimate the scene or, you know, change this around or whatever um, to make it better and more like uh, narratively cohesive. Uh, but we'll see. I, I'm looking forward to it just because a lot of my favorite stuff in the show is in the last third of the show. Um, so there's some good stuff and there's new characters to meet or at least one that I can think of. And we get more time with the zombies and, um, some of the stuff I've hinted at uh, will finally uh, come to fruition. And then we'll have Gundam behind us and we can watch other things and think about how it is informed by Gundam, which will be fun. Um, I was thinking, we talked about Zeta Gundam earlier. I was thinking about the fact that there are, not that I would pick this anytime soon, but there are also compilation films for Zeta Gundam. But the interesting thing about those is those were produced like decades after the show. Like I think they came out in like the 90s or the 2000s and that's a show from the 80s. Um, and I think that is a case where they did add a whole bunch of scenes into that uh, and like reanimated stuff. Um, and I've also not seen those um, 
was probably planning on watching those like in my current Gundam watch, watching things in order. I was probably going to watch those in order that they would have came out. Cause, so I'm looking at my spreadsheet I have, because of course I have a spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> those came out in 2005 and 2006. Um, so I was like, oh, I'll watch those after I watch whatever the 2005 Gundam series is, which I guess is Gundam Seed Desk. Um, but maybe I'll pick that for the show at some point. Zeta is a messy, messy, messy show. Uh, lots <laughs> I, of stuff to like and warned. lots of stuff to hate. Um, so I'd be curious how those compilation films play out. I mean, couldn't we also do like a one-off episode on like War in the Pocket since that takes place chronologically right after? Because I think it uh, takes place in year 80. Um, so it is called uh, Gundam 0080, uh, War in the Pocket. It technically takes place mostly in 0079. Uh, oh. There's a reason why it's called 0080. Um, ta- ta- if you wanted to be, you know, kind of compare it timeline-wise to this one, it'll take place kind of concurrently to the last kind of arc of the show. Um, so we could do that. The, I, the, the beautiful thing is, like, uh, once we have finished Mobile Suit Gundam, not only is there a bunch of other uh, mech stuff in general that we could get into that will be nice to have Gundam to inform it, there's a bunch of other Gundam stuff that we can now comfortably watch having seen the original. Like, there's War in the Pocket, which is kind of a great just kind of side story that it helps having the context of this series uh, in frame of mind to watch, um, but isn't like directly related to this conflict. Um, there's like Oath MS team, which is another thing that's like kind of a story happening concurrently to everything happening in um, the original series that we could watch. And there's plenty of other Gundam stuff that like does just stand on its own. Like it's literally in its own timeline that we could watch that even though it isn't narratively related to uh, Gundam, at least directly, there's so many like thematic things that carry over from, every Gundam series to the next that it, it's nice to have um, the original series in, in back pocket. Um, so part of the reason why I picked it was for all of that. Uh, and I definitely want to pick more mech anime, but you were right. War in the pocket is very short. So it'd be a great one to pick um, for just a one-off. Um, let's see. Any other closing thoughts about this movie? Um, I have to say, I um, did not enjoy this one as much as the first one. Actually, I think just because of the, uh, the editing and the pacing it was just like a bit of a slog to get through probably because i was watching it in the context of for the podcast and i was taking notes during it and i couldn't just you know like zone out for a second i don't know i felt like the the first one i was a bit more interested because it was all setting up the world this one was a lot of and then this happens which didn't work as well for me i guess a lot of the um setup that happens in that first movie really won't pay off until the third one so yeah it definitely makes sense that this movie is just kind of like the middle chapter where there's a lot of like smaller conflicts that happen and then are resolved within this movie yeah it it didn't like be like oh wow i don't want to fucking watch the third one now it's like all right this one's over now we can get to the third one and the interesting stuff can happen yeah Mm -hmm. i wouldn't go so far as calling it a slog but i um yeah i definitely like the first one better but you know this was still fine you know you know, it didn't go super, super low, didn't go super, super high. It was just like, okay, you know, Rumble Raw's cool. Um, this this is closer to Wow Cool Robot than, uh, you know, yeah. uh, the first one. Yeah, you know, like I agree with that. It really does. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I kind of, you know, came out of that first movie thinking like, you know what? Hey, maybe it wasn't a bad idea to choose the compilation films. Maybe all the people that say it's a bad idea for people to, you know, experience this story for the first time through those uh, are wrong. And now I'm like, nah, maybe they're <laughs> right. <laughs> they're probably right. Uh, it still is a lot to, uh, you know, stand by what I said, uh, you know, 43 episodes is a lot to ask people to get into. And this is one of those shows, especially for like now with things like 
great kind of project being relatively popular in like our online sphere that um uh it's getting recommended a lot and it is a lot to ask of people and especially when it is just like well i could watch 43 episodes or there are just these three movies right here uh i do think it's, it's probably worth to the investment to watch the show um but here we if are if i went back thing. in time i'd be like yeah I, i'm just gonna watch the series instead of the films and i would say i i'm not gonna watch the series i'll just watch the films <laughs> yeah like i said that's that is that is totally fair totally valid um oh god and i feel like um honestly the the best thing about the films just existing is me having seen the show and and for people like me who've seen the show it is kind of nice to be like well i want to revisit the story but i don't want to rewatch the 43 episode show it's nice to have the, the movies for that i could definitely see myself on the other side of this watch um revisiting the third movie just because all of my favorite stuff from the show is going to be contained in that third movie that it is kind of a nice like way to um revisit that without having to watch a bunch of episodes although i, I have rewatched episodes from the last like 10 episodes of gundam uh fairly often because I, I like so many of those so much so i guess that's not not entirely valid to say um but yeah so next time we'll watch the last of these three uh movies the uh subtitle on that one is mobile suit gundam movie three uh encounters in space uh which i think is a nice like sci-fi name even if it is like very like nondescript like hey they meet things in space <laughs> i mean getting back into space after this one is like oh thank mm-hmm. god <laughs> yeah a thing that happens in a lot of gundam shows it's not always true but a lot of times it's like they'll be in space then they'll go down to earth and at a certain point you're just like man i want them to go back in space just go back to space already please go back to space <laughs> um and I definitely remember watching the show and, and still liking the stuff that's Earth, but being very excited. Like, yes, they're back in space. Space is cool. Um, so yeah, I look forward to that. Uh, I believe this is the part of the show where we say what we've been watching uh, the last week. Uh, Danny, what have you been uh, watching that's not Gundam in these last two weeks? I think last time I mentioned that I was watching uh, Way of the House Husband. I finished it in those only few episodes. I don't know if I said that I finished it last last episode or not, or if I just watched the first few episodes. But it's finished now. Really liked it. Everyone should watch it. It's not that long. Um, I started watching uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, um, which it, it's good. Oh, nice. It's um, yeah, no, it's fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's not. It's it's a very kind of basic shonen anime. It's not really you know breaking any new ground. Um, but not everything has to. Um, you know, it's just a, a fun little thing. Likable characters. Uh. You know the one of the characters is a is like basically reverse Kakashi, um, which I dig. Love Kakashi. Yeah, this time it, instead of Jump. a, I get no. I mean, I guess half Kakashi, <laughs> double Kakashi. Kakashi is you know mm, you're the really... mask over his face and then over one eye. Or yeah. No? Does he have one eye? Uh, he's he's got the the mask over yeah. one eye and then he'll pull it off to reveal his his one yeah. Sharingan. So in this one, it, the one of the teachers just has uh, a blindfold on. Um, thus, mm. or double Kakashi. Um, was his yeah, his mouth Kakashi. is not covered. So, anyway, um, and there's a big panda in it, which mm. is cool. Um, panda talks. It's not Jack Black though. Um, <laughs> I mean, hey, are you watching the dub? Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Dare maybe I dream? Um, I'm trying to think of anything else I've been watching. Um, or even playing. I've, I've been playing uh the near replicant re-release. Um, Ooh. which is fun. Um. I'm not that far into it though, so I can't really say like, oh, I've hit the existential crisis wall, but um, I'm sure it's coming. Uh, but yeah, no, that's that's basically it for me, I, honestly. 
Gotcha. What about uh, you, Daniel? Great. So I've been continuing to watch. I've maxed out my level by killing slimes for 300 years or whatever it's called. And um, Sleep Princess in the Demon Castle. Uh, yeah, uh, I think I said last time that I love both of those. Still going well. Um, I finally watched the first episode of Mars Red yesterday because I'm a huge vampire fucker. And even though it seems very het so far, it still is incredibly my shit. So <laughs> while this is, uh, while Shadow House is like a currently airing anime, I instead just read all the manga and now I'm current with that um, from the recommendation from a friend. And yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, I'm at the point where it's like, oh yeah, this was like really fast paced because I could just read all the like 90 chapters of the manga, like whatever I wanted. But now I'm current and it's like, oh, got to just... Uh, wait a week for like 13 pages all right um, or just wait a few months until you've got a handful of chapters to read all at once yeah um but yeah um i might decide to check out the anime adaptation i heard some rumblings about people um being a bit concerned that it's um diverging a bit from the manga but hmm. i don't know manga's good uh the art's very pretty and it's in full color if you're into that wait but, like yeah. the whole thing yeah oh cool that's rad um, well, I wish I could say I have watched past the first episode of Mars Red since the last time I brought it up, but I have fallen behind on a lot of anime I'm watching, uh, to the point where I'm like, do I keep watching Mars Red or do I just throw it on my, uh, on hold list and uh, <laughs> never get back to it? Um, uh, because I'm behind on stuff that like, uh, I know I want to get caught up on and, um, there's a couple shows that I'm, I've basically only watched the first episode of that I'm like, eh, maybe I just don't. I'm already watching so much. I mean, maybe my impression was like I watched it like right after finishing the Gundam movie and it was just like I wasn't the biggest fan of the second one. The second movie as mm. is obvious and I went into Mars and was like, oh wow, this is what I wanted to watch. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this is paced well. This is paced like a TV this show. Is paced well. The uh, backgrounds look super fucking nice. Yeah, that's what initially got me to 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 feel out that show was like seeing screenshots. It's like, oh wow, that's gorgeous. It's and it's like very, um, the general tone is like trying to be very cinematic, and was like, you know what? Yeah, I needed this right now. Big fan. Awesome. Uh, geez, what have I actually watched? I really haven't watched much in the last two weeks. It appears, other than the few shows I talked about last time. Um. So I guess instead I will shout out the video games I have played instead of watching anime. I finished, <laughs> uh, I believe this was since the last time we recorded, I finished Final Fantasy XII, um, which the story in that game, basically non-existent by the end. Uh, but everything else about that game fucking rules. The characters are really good. I, I love PS2 era games, and even though I played the Zodiac Age version, you can feel the PS2 vibes coming off of that game. Uh, the combat system rules, and so I 100%ed the shit. I was going to say, game. did you finish um, it, or did you finish <laughs> it? Yeah, there was a shocking amount of time between when I got to the point where it's like, all right, you can complete the main story now, and when I actually went and completed the main story because I had finished all the side content that you can't do, once you lock into the like last dungeon of the game, uh, including trial mode, which is a thing they added for the Zodiac version, which I will mention just to say that the last stage in trial mode, trial mode 100, is man, at one point in that and that in that fight, I was gonna give up and was like, this is the worst thing I've ever done in a video game. But now that I'm on the other side and I actually did it, it's the greatest thing I've ever done in video game. <laughs> <laughs> um, it felt so fucking good to get over that wall. Um, would not recommend people do it. It's not worth it. But 
Uh, I had a blast uh, doing all the things in that game. Um, other than trial mode, all the other stuff for completion isn't too bad. Um, filling out the bestiary just takes time, and you definitely need a guide for that. If you're definitely going to play that game, play it with a guide. It was very helpful. Uh, but that game rules, and um, now I've been playing a bunch of Pokemon Snap and listening to podcasts uh, now that that game is out. Very good. Shout-outs to Pokemon Snap, both the new one and the original. Um, and uh, it's probably come up enough times that it's apparent, but I'm rekindling my, my Star Wars flame, something that hasn't been a lit in a while. Uh, and I'm playing Jedi Fallen Order right now since it's on uh, Game Pass, and that game is fun. It's, like, perfectly fine. It's not a great game, but it's perfectly fine, and I'm having a good time. Um, so those were the things I played instead of watching anime, uh, sadly. I will have to get back on Gundam X this, this next couple weeks and finish that, because I'm, I'm fairly close, but kind of stalled on, on watching more of that. Um, and uh, and uh, so, yeah, I will, I will check in on that hopefully mm. next time. Uh, but I haven't watched any I of mean, since, since last episode. I totally didn't start watching Mars Red, so I'd have something to discuss for this part of the podcast. Uh, nope. <laughs> you got to do the the powerful Danny move of just fuck anime. I played Persona Five Strikers <laughs> instead. <laughs> very powerful move. Thank you. Um, no shade. Uh, all right, um, that's it. Check us out next time for the final of the Gundam movies. Um, actually, real quick. Um, this can stay in or this can get cut out. I totally didn't check the email. I was going to ask, did we have any questions? To plug or... for... Yeah. I was about nope, to... nothing on the Twitter. Uh, well, I will check the email right now. There's like a penis enlargement pill. <laughs> I mean, my Let's thing see. is like, I don't think I could be like, yeah, I've just been reading a lot of fucking trash on Dynasty scans the past <laughs> few weeks. <laughs> uh, nope, no new questions. Um, <laughs> we do get emails from Twitter. I should probably turn that off. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> That are like, uh, it's like your highlights, and it's what is this? What? Oh, I retweeted it. Okay, <laughs> this is like a tweet from like I retweeted like months ago. Why is this in here? <laughs> but like, I get like notifications like, oh, here's your Twitter highlight, and it's like Dry Noodle retweeted the Yakuza Friday <laughs> retweet. <laughs> it's like okay, cool. Get that uh, every week. Or like, uh, it's very funny. Um, anyway. Those are, yeah, those are the only emails we've got on the social tab on, on the Google email. So I'll close out of that and say, uh, hey, you can send us your emails uh, to anime at gmail.com or you can DM us on Twitter at underthekotatsu uh, and we will read through your questions on here and give our, our best answers. Uh, you can email us about whatever anime we're watching, whatever anime we have watched or just anything anime or anything otherwise. I don't think we really care. Ask us about food or, um, uh, best vampire um, ladies, vampire ladies. Tell us your thoughts about resident <laughs> evil eight. That's, that's hot. That's got SEO right now. Um, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Um, and then, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at dry, no, at, at cover me in sauce. My name is Dry Noodle. Um, on Twitter, and I'm not giving you my Instagram. All right, and where can people find you, uh, Danielle? I'm at Les Bunny on Twitter. You can follow me for out of context stuff from the trash on Dynasty Scans I've been reading or food pictures. Nice, nice. That's about it. <laughs> Uh, you can follow me uh, at chai underscore squared, uh, retweeting all the good fan art of the new Hollow Live English uh, outfits. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think that'll do us uh, for this time. Uh, uh, why don't you take us out of here? Uh,
Uh, gender's not real. Do crimes, do gay. See you all next time. Oh, boo, 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 boo. <laughs> I mean, uh, oh god. <laughs> I've already forgotten how the soldiers are. Look, so we're time! That's the only part of the <laughs> Yeah, I know.